it doing? How's things out there? Oh, fucking ISO again. It's never ending. Never ending, but we're still here. You've we are. tuned into the 80s montage. That's the best thing you've done all week. <laughs> <laughs> this is they Jay Jody. Have. This is Sammy Hard on. How's it going, and tonight's guys? Tonight's special. Yeah, tonight's, tonight's a special, special. It really is. It's a very special anniversary. Tell them about it, baby. Oh, I was going to ask you to tell them about it, but I'll tell them about it. I'll stick it in. Live Aid, 35th anniversary this year. 35 years. Yeah, July 13, 1985, we we experienced this. Wow, wow. The greatest show on earth, it was called. That's right. If, if anybody out there is, is not familiar with Live Aid, any Martians listening, anybody from another planet, <laughs> Live Aid was a massive benefit concert um, that simultaneously occurred in Wembley Stadium in the UK. Uh, in front of 72,000 people at Wembley and at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia in USA in front of almost 90,000 people. There were 58 acts playing. Pretty amazing. 58, 16 hours worth of entertainment. That's right. And I think they ended up having almost 2 billion people, which was at the time in 1985... Uh, because it was telecast around the world. Everybody was watching around mm. the world. Uh, it, they ended up having, I think it was 40% of the world's population were watching this one show. And it was incredible because it was also um, televised in third world countries. So it was the first time a country like India got to see Western civilization on their TV set. And it was so exciting for them because they'd never seen a white person or a concert on TV before. <laughs> yeah, they had. India India got, was conquered by, by the English. <laughs> no, but they didn't have TV shows unless oh, they were Indian. Yes, you know the what TV I mean? shows you're talking about. Yeah, yes. yeah, TV yes. shows. Yeah, yeah. No, sorry, I mean on TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what's more, they were sort of, you know, they were shouting out to all these countries as well. So, yeah. so you know, they were they were shouting out to India and, and sort of, you know, Japan and Australia and Canada and USSR and it was the first sort of big international event where we really felt like a global village, like the thought of that being a global, thought of us being, you know, all interconnected globally, this Mm. was like, this was the first time, the first time it sort of became real for everybody, you know? Absolutely. Now, this was, um, this was the, the BBC in the UK and the ABC in the US were responsible for broadcasting this. And at the time, it was the most ambitious international satellite event in history ever performed at the time. Obviously, you know, they would cross um, to satellite sometimes for the news and, it, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the sound quality would be awful and there'd be huge latency, you know, there'd be a massive sort of gap in between question and answer and all that kind of thing. But, and so, that, you know, what they were trying to do was improve on all that technology and really sort of um, get a sense of crossing the Atlantic and drawing, I guess, uh, the English and the Americans together, you know, the two poles of Western civilization, sort of together, and it was all for a very good cause. All for a very it good was. cause. 
It was. And also it had never been done before. So they had many a meetings where they said it can't be done. We cannot fucking do what you want us to do. We cannot – I mean basically technology was a baby and it would not fucking do what it was told because no one had done this before. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, So – the UK was hard enough to, to organise in itself anyway. I think that happened a, sort of a month before where they sort of got someone in to do it. But it was Philadelphia where it became a bit tricky because the guy that ran the TV network was an absolute asshole. That's right. That's right. It was mm. – the the thing that made it difficult is basically, you know, it, it – um, for for the people that were getting the ball rolling, it was a real eye-opener into matters of life and death on an international scale. That's and, right, yeah. Um, what they were trying to do was get all of these people on board and have to overcome all of these egos and trying trying to sort of convince these people about how high the stakes were and basically to pull their head in and get over themselves in, in the name of a good cause. Well, not only that, Bob Geldof, who was the creator, was seen as a fucking drunk muso. That's no right. one took him seriously. Yeah. No yep. one thought, you know, he had foul mouth, he was very rude. Um, and in the end of all this, he became the people's champion because he actually started pushing up against Margaret Thatcher and all these people that were important. Um, but no one fucking believed him. They were yeah. like, why the fuck would this guy that once upon a time said, I want to be rich and famous and get laid, mm. all of a sudden give a shit about a third world country? Yeah, yeah. There's so many There's so many stories within this story. And and the one about the, – the, the one particularly about Bob Geldof is one of the most interesting because it's basically somebody that has – had sort of a, a a bit of a I guess a superficial life, and he's he's had like a watershed moment, you know, and he's realised he's he he sort of had a calling, he had a calling like a higher calling, and he really followed it, and he changed the world, you know. Yeah. It's, it's it's sort of almost biblical. It's incredible this this tale. So listen up. So basically. <laughs> Basically, as Sammy said, Bob Geldof really got the ball rolling with this. The two, the two main blokes that, that were spearheading this were Bob Geldof and another bloke called Midge Ewer. You might know Midge Ewer as the uh, singer from Ultravox. They had a massive hit, Vienna, and they had other hits, you know, but my, Vienna is an awesome song. Do you love that song? I fucking hate Midge Ewer. I'm going to oh, be honest really? with you. really? Here yeah, we go. I fucking hate him. Fuck, all right. Well, well, Maddie and I toured with Midge Ewer. So yeah, we, right, right, I right. toured my original stuff with Midge when he was in Australia. Yep. And he is a complete asshole. And the interviews I've watched with Midge Ewer um, have been interesting because he always felt like he was being left out of this whole scenario. Yeah, yeah. And his girlfriend would complain. She was a whinging chick. Yeah. And say that but Geldof would leave Midge Ewer out of it. Yeah. And I started looking at this interview going, you know what, I don't think Geldof left you out. I think you're just a little bit of a bitch. Look, um, I really think that Bob Geldof's journey through this 
is like the journey of a single man. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, of course like, so. Yes, they work together on the recording of, That's of right. um, uh, Do They Know It's Christmas, but essentially this, this entire journey is like one man leading the people. You know, that's Agreed. what this story is. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, he was the, the front man. Bob Goldoff was the fucking, the, the logo for the whole yeah. idea. That's right. And Live Aid was something again. You yeah. Know, that, that he was asked to do the music. You know what I mean? But exactly. it was just a bit weird. Just yeah. a bit weird. But I agree with you there. I think Midua was the second one and really he shouldn't have been at the press conference. And he complained yeah. about not being there. Mm. What's it got to do with him, you know? That's right. Now, look, let's just go back a little bit just to fill you in if you're not aware, if you're one of our younger list- listeners and you're not aware. In 1984, Bob Geldof, um, he had had some success with the Boomtown Rats. They had had some hits. Mm. He was a punk, you know. They were, they were springing out of the punk scene. Um, and he was one of the first new wavers as well. So he sort of was a punk. Coming into New Wave, he had had a lot of hits. They had had a lot of hits in the late 70s and um, they did all right in the early 80s but come 1984 and he was sort of a a bit of a faded pop star, you know. His wife Mm. Paula Yates was actually a bigger star at the time. She was a TV host. And Bob was like just seen as a bit of, uh, you know, bit of a grump. He's, he's tall. He's massive, this dude. This big, tall, dark, grumbling, grumpy prick, you know, that sort of um, <clears throat> just sort of grumbled and whinged and swore and drank, you know. And um, he was basically sitting at home uh, with Paula and his kids. It was the middle of winter. Just and the one kid, yep. Oh yeah, just just the one. Yeah, what's He'd her only name? Had one. Fifi is it Fifi? Something like Fifi. that. Fifi. But we'll just let the punters know that the the hit single the Boomtown Rats had was "I Don't Like Mondays." That's right. Which yes. was a fucking great song. A yeah. fucking great song. Yeah, yeah. They had another one called Rats, didn't they? Can't remember the rest, babe. But I know that "I Don't Like Mondays" was about a school shooting, and it was quite controversial. That's right. So you can sort of see he's a little bit into this stuff at the start. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's very, he's very brash. He's got a very big, he'd tell you to fuck off like that, you know. Mm. He's, he, uh, I would love to meet him. I would, I would love to meet him. I always thought this guy was a bit of a prick. But since looking into this further, I've completely turned around. It's, it's incredible. He, um. Uh, they were sitting at home, you know, uh, quite quite comfortable in their house, and they watched this news article by a guy, a journalist called Michael Burke, and it was about the famine in Ethiopia, mm. and it was described as a biblical famine in the 20th century. And look, it was. Ethiopia mm. was like right in the grips of this um, civil war. They had a president who was basically a murderous dictator. And millions, millions of people were starving. You know, it, it was just awful. Like, you know, children, adults and children alike were just dropping dead from starvation. And it was, it was just awful. And um, at the time in, in England, there was a lot of t- turmoil. There was a lot of... Mm. There was a you know fights in the street. Thatcher had come in, and she was sort of turning everything on its head, and people were rioting, and 
um, it was it was quite violent at the time. You know, there there was a lot of sort of anger, a lot of anger in in Britain, um, and and also a lot of money. There was a lot of money because she, which she, meant people did not give a shit about stuff like this. That's right. That's right. It sort of w- w- was a qu- quite a cruel time. You know, quite a cruel mm. time. Anyway, so they're watching this this. Um, it was the news. This news article and mm. it was it, – it just – it's like this story sort of reached out of the screen and grabbed Bob Geldof by the heart. He just – he was profoundly moved by this. Mm. Basically this, this story about Ethiopia um, caused him to then – you know, he just had a fire in his belly. He needed, he needed to do something about it. He just needed to do something about it. And sort of living, living as a celebrity and as a, as a rock star and stuff, he would, you know, go along to functions and drinks and stuff like that and he just couldn't enjoy any of it. He just couldn't enjoy the drinks that he was having and the food that he was eating. and st- he, he felt like, you know, guilt. It made him disgusted that they were – enjoying all the excesses of the 80s and here were all these people just not far away that were starving to death. Well, yeah, he went out after that news article to a party and that's where he felt like shit. Yeah, yeah. But not only that, all of England had seen this. Mm, yeah, yeah. The whole, the whole country had seen it. Yeah. So everyone had the same reaction. Everyone was aware, but yeah. Yeah, you know. And this is the thing, you know, we – because of the media, we see these things happening around the world. We're all aware, you know, but it's mm. not everyone does something about it, you know. No, and, no. And we might, we might sort of um, chuck $20 in an envelope and, and sort of give it to charity and, and that's fantastic, God. But, mm. you know, not all of us do absolutely everything we can to help. You know, this was this was a turning point for Bob Geldof. He felt a little bit irrelevant within his life as an artist and as a person. Yeah. And he yeah. needed to do something for himself, but also for these people. He had to sort of use his means to help these people. Um so basically I don't think he knew what he was doing. No, I don't think no. he had a clue. No. I don't think he actually thought I want to do this for me. I think it was how the fuck am I going to do this? Well, he needed you know. to do something. You know, he needed to do something with his life. He had a he had a personal frustration generally. You know, um, and I I still think he carries that. You know, I still think he carries that sort of that's his sort of disposition in in life. It's just that personal frustration. It's really interesting. Yeah, you know? but I think they're people that get shit done. As well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If there's absolutely. if there's not that niggling in your belly of being an asshole, I mean, you can't get shit done by going, excuse me, do you mind if you pass me yeah. the fucking bill for Wembley Stadium? Well, you have to get hard. That's right. That's right. You have to be an asshole. Yeah. And especially when you're doing something as big as this. Well, if you want to change the world, you've got to crack the fucking whip. Like you've got to. And no one believed him. So yeah. they were just thinking you're full of shit. And part of it was like his reputation had followed him as well. You know, like he, he was sort of this excessive pop star, this excessive rock star. And it's like, mm. oh, give me a break, mate. Like fucking you're going to tell me how to live my life, you know. So it was, it was, it was difficult for him at the beginning. But look, 
it did help that he's like this towering, you know, this big, right. towering, booming, um, quite bullish, you know, like quite Boom bullish. Boomtown rat. Boomtown rat. There we go. So, look, like, cut a long story short, too late. Mm. He um, got in touch with Midge Ewer. Um, uh, Paula, Paula had been, I think, interviewing or hanging out with, um, with Midge Ewer. It was probably sucking him off. And, um, <laughs> That's and, um, true. <laughs> That's true. And um, and so he basically said to Midge, "Fuck, you know, we've got to do something. How about we collaborate and we'll do something?" Bob took a song that he had sort of, or they, they at first talked about covering a song, like covering a song, re-recording it, and releasing it. But they wanted it. This was in about October, I believe. And they wanted it out by Christmas and they realised to sort of jump all the hurdles of, you know, approaching and asking for permission and all that kind of shit that it was it would just take too long. And, and they wanted it out for Christmas to get bang for their buck. So they realised pretty quickly that they would have to record an original song. Uh, and so Bob sort of had something already sort of half written rattling around that he brought to the table um, and look, out of this, out of these writing sessions came, do they know it's Christmas? Um, and I, I fucking love that song. I love that song. This is sort of, it's amazing. this is the song that sort of got the ball rolling for this movement because, um, they had the song there written. Um, they, they basically, I think they initially approached Trevor Horn, who had done a lot of stuff with. Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and Trevor couldn't produce it at the time, but he, he said, look, I'll let you use my studio in Notting Hill. You can use my studio. I can't do it, but there you go. So the, the, the part of the producer was sort of then handed over to Midge, to Midge Ewer. Yeah, right. Midge yeah. was the producer of the song. They had a venue. Bloody Bob wrote it, and he was sort of wrangling. He started wrangling all the people in as well. He was doing all the cat herding. Mm. So Bob was sort of calling all his mates, calling, you know, calling Duran Duran, calling Bowie, getting people on board. He'd sort of, he'd call, um, he'd, you know, he'd call Duran Duran. He'd say, oh, George Michael's doing it. You, you know, you want to come on board? Oh, yeah, yeah. But look, he'd basically call people and bully them into doing it. Like, come on, man, you just got to fucking do it. You know, like you just got to fucking take part. Yeah, and, well, and it was pe- easy as well because, on. yeah, well, they'd seen the stuff on the, the news as well. That's so right. So he did say to Simon, did you see that fucking thing on the news? Did you see that fucking thing? And Simon was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's when he used to say, when he, when he said, come down to the studio. Um, the thing that I hate about Midge in one of these interviews is Midge complained because he was using his mobile to ring the people to come down to the studio. Yeah. Like, fucking shut up. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I know. I know. Like, yeah. It's sort of... This is the thing. I really don't think anybody got this more than Bob. I exactly. really don't think anybody yep. realised the gravity of all of this. And one thing... One thing that strikes you about Bob is when you start watching a few documentaries, he's incredibly eloquent. Like he's got an amazing gift of poetry just as he speaks, just as he speaks, like nothing pre-prepared. His 
his attachment to communicating verbally is incredible. It's like poetry. Mm. Um, mm. So he he did have a sort of very persuasive way of pulling at their heartstrings and pulling them into this, you know, and getting them on board. He was very persuasive like that. So anyway, like incredible lineup. They had this. They had um, the recording date set. It was first thing in the morning. You know, it all happened very quickly because they they, they had to get it sort of recorded and produced and you know mixed and produced and everything, and out in time for for Christmas. And um, so they they um, called everybody in. I think it was 10 a.m. one morning. And Might have been six in the morning, babe. I think it was six a.m. You sure? Oh fuck yeah! Because they had to get it out the next day for Christmas. We've actually talked about this before. Right, right. Was it 6 a.m.? Yeah. Right. Oh, fuck yeah. That, that's why they look so fucked up because they'd just been from a gig and come straight into the studio. Oh, it could have been 2 p.m. They would have looked all fucked up, you know, knowing musos. <laughs> I think they needed to get the recording done within 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, so right. So this is well, why it had to be 6 in the morning yeah, or something. Trevor I might did, be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Trevor did loan them the the studio just like cost free for for 24 hours. So that was yep. their, you know, that was their restriction yep. as well. But yep. um so go through Sammy, do you know who was involved? Can you remember? God, yeah. Fucking lived it. Banana Rama. Yeah. Duran Duran. Yeah. Hall and Oates. No, Hall and Oates was um the American one. Yes. Oh, maybe they were in the English one. Cool and the Gang were there? Yeah. They were the American actor were there. Jody Watley was there. Marilyn was there. Boy George was there. John Moss was there. Phil Collins, status quo. Fucking Phil was there. Phil was there, of course. He played drums on it, I think. You know what? He played drums and he waited all day until the um, until all the vocals were done to play his drums. How many fucking drummers do you know that would do that, Sammy? Mate, I'd (laughs) wait if I was Phil Collins as well. (laughs) Well. Drummers will wait if there's something in it for them. Yeah, yeah. They'll fucking wait for two weeks if there's something in it for them. <laughs> but we had um, who else? We had Duran Duran. We had yep, Sting. We Sting, had Sting. Yes. We had um, old mate from Style Council. What was his name? Uh, Style Council is oh my the one that God. I always think is uh, soft it's cell. Soft cell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, anyway. Yeah, I know his name. I can't remember it. Yep. Howard Jones, was he there? Or is he was he at the live concert? No, I'm not no, he was at the live concert. I'm not sure whether how oh, Howard Paul was Young, there, I don't think. Paul Young. Paul Young. Definitely yep. there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Now look, it was just and Semi, this I can never remember who's the black girl that was standing next to Banana Rama? Jodie Watley. That's right. Yeah. That's Jody right. Watley. Yeah. Because Jodie was only in Shalimar at that time. She That's hadn't right. had a solo album. Yeah, yeah. So no one sort of knew who Jodie was but she was stunning. Yeah. And we're all thinking, who's this chick with the mohawk sort of thing? Oh, she's And that incredible. was Jodie Watley. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Really good outfit. So all these guys started rolling up. You know, it was in the morning and, and, and you know, that is tough on a muso especially when you work at night and you've had a big night the night before. And um, they all started rolling up. They had did. They had done some kind of. 
they had let the press know that they were recording. So they were getting the ball rolling to try to generate buzz, you know. Um, yes. So nobody realised but the, the press all turned up. All the paps turned up at the at the studio hoping to, you know, get a shot of these pop stars as they were, as they were coming in first thing in the morning. And nobody, nobody sort of thought the reaction would be so big. But there was so much buzz and like all the pop stars are coming in just like looking like fucking shit, like all dishevelled mm. and, you know, got their sunnies on and everything and and they head in. Um, Marilyn turned up without being invited. I think he um, – I think – I'm not sure if he heard through his recording company or through Boy George. It would have been through Boy George. Yeah, because George – Originally was going to come. He was invited, and mm. um, uh, Bob Geldof called him, and he was in New York. And Bob yeah, was like, right. "Fucking, what are you doing? Like, you're meant to fucking be here." And um, he was in New York, and George, uh, J- uh, Bob actually said to him, "Get the fucking Concord and get back here. You need to be here." And yeah, he it, did. George was like, "Fuck off," and went back to bed. <laughs> Oh, shit. Yeah, he went back to bed because he had only had three hours sleep himself. He had been out all night. And so yeah. he he slept. He was like, oh, fuck off. He ended up coming. He ended up sort of waking up hours later and was like, oh, all right, I'll go. <laughs> and he was the very last solo vocalist to record that day. He got in on the, yeah, on right. the Concord and, and got in because um, he was like the biggest star at the time, you know. And um, well, they all fucking were. It was the industry at its best. It was huge. And I actually love the way they looked in this video. Yeah. I thought it was so British and so cool and trendy to see the stars without their makeup on. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was incredible. Yeah, I loved it too. In a way, they look like. Little kids getting out of bed. There's something about people when they get out of bed and they're all vulnerable and they're, they, they're like a child again, like being born for the first time, you know. And yeah. they, you know, these guys still had fucking creases in their faces and all the fucking hairs everywhere. And, you know, um, the guys from Status Quo were fucked. They, they, had been, uh, what are their names again, bloody Francis Parfit and Rick Rossi. Remember them? They look like a fucking parody of rock stars. They look like um, Spinal Tap, those guys, you mm, know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. They turned up and they actually had solo bits. They were meant to be doing the um, uh, here's to you. They were meant to be doing all those bits. But they'd fucked the their voices up yep. so so much the night before that they, they couldn't reach the fucking notes. So yeah. they, they to get, I think they gave it to Paul Young. Yeah, I think it was Paul Young, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Who um, couldn't reach the notes now either. Y- no, that's right. And they, they He think, had a good voice back then though. Yeah, yeah. I think it – I can't remember which one of them it was but – There was three of them. Oh, it was, there were three of them, right, I right. I think there was three of them, yeah. There was one that was the main singer though and apparently they were, they were kind of known for their – for their harmonies, but it was the one guy that was the main singer. The other guys used to sing on stage when they'd tour, but for their recordings it was the main guy and sort of when they fucked up and they had to give it to Paul Young, the main guy kind of pulled Midura aside and Midura, Midura aside saying, 
you made a mistake putting a mic in front of them. Like they can't fucking sing unless we're on tour. <laughs> yeah. You should have yeah, just yeah, given yeah. it to me. It but is fucking hard to sing in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. There is nothing harder in the world. Yeah. Your, yeah. your voice is not developed to wake. You need at least three hours to get your vocal oh, God, working yeah. in the morning. Absolutely. And they hadn't even had their first coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. But you these know. guys, they they kind of felt like, you know, extra tits at an orgy. And they they yeah. um <laughs> they they kind of like singing all the not low notes and stuff. But apparently like they pulled out a bag of coke and fucking all the acts started <laughs> all the acts started like calling in bottles of wine and stuff and it turned into a party. Yeah. Um so they started getting into it as the ball was rolling. They were all kind of on board and everything and um, you know, you know who else turned up that I was like, that's fucking bizarre and would only happen in Britain. Um, the guy, uh, Nigel Planer from the Young Ones that played, um, uh, um, Neil, Neil, that played Neil yeah. turned up yeah. in character. Yeah. He wasn't invited well, either, but they were like, oh, well, it'll bring more, you know. Absolutely. It'll, yeah, yeah. So they let him in. Yeah. That's fucking hilarious. Well, I don't hilarious. think he wore a wig though, did he? He didn't wear a wig, Neil. That was his hair, wasn't it? Oh, it was his hair, but he was in character. Yeah, yeah. Well, how would he not be in character? He fucking looks like him. He was in character, Bubby. He wasn't. What do he you wasn't, mean character? He wasn't turning up oh, as like himself. Oh, like speaking like yeah, that. Yeah, he was like, you know, oh. free, free love, well, man. Like. I reckon he's really close to his character anyway. Oh, yeah. Guy. Well, look at Rick Mayle, you, you know, know, like, yeah, yeah. Look at Rick Mayle. It's like fucking that far away with him. Yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, so look, you guys know the song. You guys out there know the song. Do they know it's Christmas? It's fucking incredible. This song went multi-platinum and was out. They they released it on British radio in at the beginning of December and it went multi-platinum. It was the biggest. Um, it was the biggest benefit song in history to that date, and it was only eclipsed years later. Wasn't it Christmas Day? No, it wasn't Christmas Day. It was at the beginning of um, beginning of December because they had a couple of weeks of sales. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, it was the biggest benefit song for years, like up until that point, um, until Candle. Candle in the Wind, remember with Princess Di. That would that that ended up eclipsing it years later. So there in, you go. in England, you mean, yeah? In yeah. England? Yeah. 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 Um, it was huge here as well. You know, that song here that, that mm. song was huge here as well. It had a huge effect. Um now Michael Burke, the journalist that originally popped the news article that everybody saw in England, he heard the song, he obviously you know, he didn't know the backstory. He didn't know he didn't know Geldof. He didn't know sort of any any of what had propelled them to record this song. He fucking hated it. He heard the song yeah, and right. fucking hated it. He was so highly critical. He couldn't he was could not believe Geldof had done this. He thought like this prick, this fading pop star has gone and taken advantage of this awful, awful fucking thing. Like who would do this? Who would fucking do this? Well, he wasn't the only one. He wasn't the only one. There was a nurse working in Ethiopia called Glare Berkshinger who thought he was just making money 
over the, you know, making his own money yeah. through the Ethiopian kids. Everyone was skeptical. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She but, apologized many years later. That's right. For thinking that, but everyone thought that. Yeah, yeah. Now, sort of after this event, in the, the there was in, incredible momentum at this point. You know, through Christmas and through that Christmas into 1985, incredible momentum. What they were going to do with the money, how they were going to take it over to make sure that the money was actually going to go to good use and be put towards food um, and actually have a, a real effect on the people that needed it. And so they basically came up with this plan, um, I think, I think, the, the, it was the media came up with the plan that it would actually be Bob that would go and deliver the money to um, to Ethiopia itself, and Bob yeah. Bob was just completely against the idea. He was like, "Nah, fuck off, nah, nah, fuck off." He actually told them, hung up in their ear, and told them to fuck off like ten times. You know. He just w- he just did not want to be seen to be sort of photographed in that situation, and it- I think they set up a trust, a band aid trust. They did was the live aid trust. So what he didn't want to do was go over there and make a fuss about it because he thought that it would look ridiculous if he was seen with the Ethiopian sort of people. I don't think he liked it being confronted. He didn't want to be confronted by it. No, no. He actually was quite scared of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I don't know whether he wanted to go over it or – he didn't want to go over it all and it was a journalist that wanted to take him over, a photographer. Yeah, yeah. They they wanted photos of him with you know they basically right. wanted yeah. stuff you know and and in 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 good faith they wanted photos of him on the ground with the kids but Bob did not want that he was like if you even are if he you even suggest that I pose with the kids when we get there you're going home like you, you know he was he was so so against the idea. But look, it, they mm. they got there, and look, it was the biblical famine. They could not believe the devastation. Yeah, and the the, the thing is, Sammy, um, it's happening right now in 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 Yemen, in in the Middle East. This this kind of this kind of famine is happening right now. It's like, where's mm. Bob Geldof? You know, where is our Bob Geldof of this age that's going to step up? You know, do you know? Today's world, we're more worried about putting shit on Facebook and changing the world yeah. than we are actually doing something productive. Yeah. And the beauty of not having social media when Bob Goldoff was around and you see it on the news and you think, what the fuck can I do? You don't just get on fucking Facebook and go, please like and give prayers and fucking cherish yeah. this fucking, you know. Absolutely. We, this Facebook is the fucking antichrist yeah. to charity events. Oh, it really is. Like, look, uh, clicktivism, you know, like getting on and having a rant but not actually doing anything about it. Oh, fuck. Exactly. It is the worst thing because yeah. people feel validated because it's like, oh, I've done something and they've sort of virtue signal online. So 
yeah. I don't know, all their all their friends can see that their heart's in the right place, and they, and they actually they actually have that feeling of being let off the hook because they've they've mm. done that. But in the old days, in 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 the bloody eighties, there wasn't any avenue to kind of fucking let yourself off the hook like that, except for doing something about it, except for fucking giving money or doing something about it. You know. Exactly. And even people don't give money nowadays. They put it on Facebook and they think that's as far as they need to go. Yeah. You know, especially, um, you know, everything that comes up where we go out and protest. Fucking throw some money at the problem. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't just sit there and fucking pat yourself on the back for being a keyboard warrior. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And we had all, we also had beautiful Princess Die. Was starting to sort. Was she married to Charles at this stage, yes. and she was char- starting to do charity as well. Yeah. So there was this sort of a thing that the people that gave a shit. But I'm with you. When I watched this stuff about Bob Geldof, my fucking whole attitude changed. Yeah. Towards him. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I was hoping you'd say that because I thought maybe I'm just being a nightmare and I'm being sucked into the whole thing, but yeah. I actually agree. Yeah, mm. yeah. Look, um, the stuff I watched was actually so well balanced. Bob, not everyone likes Bob. Not everyone no. likes Bob and, like, there are a lot of people that were only too happy to fucking have a bit of a whinge about him and and call him for this and that. And even the mm. <laughs> even the people that were that thought he had done an amazing job at this were still like... He's he's a cunt. Like he's you know he's a bu- he's a bully. Yeah. He's a he's a you know he's <laughs> so so look um and and I guess as Aussies, a lot of our um, perception of Bob Geldof is also like the man the who Michael took Hutchins Michael Hutchins' yeah. child off him. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's right. But yes. you know he was trying to do the right thing in that situation mm. as well. You know, and and he, she was a fucking nightmare, mate, mate. Yeah, absolutely. He was trying to provide stability to these kids, and as much as I love Mike, like you know, I I I can't vouch for Paula. So you know, no, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So look, the idea for a concert event was actually first put forward by Boy George because he um, he flew back. He flew back to the US after he had recorded, after the song had been released and he was doing some dates back in the US. And I think he did something where um, he pulled a few of his friends onto stage. He didn't pull them off. On stage, he pulled. Them, <laughs> he pulled. Although yeah, he probably yeah. thought about I'm it. I'm glad he yeah. would have done it backstage. I'm sure. Oh, I would have. Yeah. Wish I was one of his <laughs> mates. Anyway, he he um he pulled a few of his In mates front of on John stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like look at what you're missing out on. Exactly. Um, anyway, he pulled a few of his famous mates up on stage, and they sang it on stage. Um, and George also had this big cathartic moment of like, oh, my God, that was one of the most rewarding, incredible things that I've ever done is bring more focus to this song and movement. We should we should have a fucking concert event. We should do that, you know. Mm. I think I think maybe Geldof had already been thinking about it, but George was the first one to say it publicly, you know, to the press. 
So were Culture Club on the, the list though? I don't remember them doing Live Aid. No, they weren't, but George uh, uh, George had sung on the single. Yeah, oh, okay. So he wanted to bring up the idea but they didn't end up doing Culture Club because I'm just interested, that's all. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't... That's one thing that's very interesting, isn't it, is like the artists who artists who recorded on the single and the ones who took place in the live concert event. Very, well, you know, quite different lists. And you know why? Because Geldof used to rock up to Heathrow Airport and wait for these artists to get off the plane. Yeah. And ask them to fucking do the concert. Yeah, yeah. And and the art, the, like I think it was Nick Kershaw that said he wasn't there to get a fucking plane. He just stalked me around the airport to do this concert. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm thinking maybe uh, he did a lot of that. He did a lot of that with Lady Di and Prince Charles as well. Yes, they weren't yes. going to be there on the day if they had if he hadn't got a free ticket to Dire Straits across the road. That's right. That's right. Because yeah. Dire Straits, the manager of Dire Straits looked at his diary and said, "I've got a gig across the road at Wembley Arena." If you can organise a time where we go on at Wembley Stadium, I'll come over and we'll do the both. Because yeah. every artist was going to benefit from this gig. Yeah. Because yeah. of the people that were watching. Yeah. And you too, out of everyone, benefited the most. Fuck yeah, absolutely. But, and they were the ones that wanted to fucking pull out. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> anyway, so um, <laughs> so the, the thing with um, – because we see Lady Di and Prince Charles enter the building or enter the show. Yeah. He'd fucking he had gone to the strike day as Dire Straits gig, got a free ticket, and fucking asked them to come that same day. That's right. If you were the manager of Dire Straits, and Live Aid were playing across the road, it was basically across the road. Live Aid was at Wembley Stadium. Dire Straits were at Wembley Arena, mm-hmm. l- literally down the road. Um, yeah. Wouldn't you cancel the gig? Like if you were no, Dire because Straits? people weren't sure how it was going to go. Right? Yeah, I guess. I and guess. And you can't yeah. cancel twelve thousand people, babe. No, no, no. True, 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 true. Very big, big thing. And Geldof just fucking took every opportunity to chase after people to get them at Live Aid, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Especially Lady Di because she was so special in England, and they were the hottest couple at the time. She was huge. She was huge. So the, it looked the, fucking great. The biggest sort of international TV event up up until this stage was Princess Di's like Diane Charles's wedding. Yeah, that's right. And it, yeah. that was a couple of, just a couple of years before, you know. So so she she was enormous. She was she was like a you know, she was like a, a living legend at the time. Yeah. Now, I'm just thinking, should we throw to our one dick? So that when we come back, we can just like dive into the concert. Start and talking about spend it. Spend another yeah. fucking two hours talking about that. Yep. No worries, baby. Because this right. is going to be one and two parts, isn't it? Oh, it is. By the way, everyone, this is going to mm. be one and two parts, right? So we're going to. Right. We're talking about UK to, in this episode, and then fuck, you wouldn't believe what happened in what was happening across the Atlantic in the USA at the same time with all of this shit. That's going to be episode two, right? So absolutely, we've got our one dick wonder. Look, fuck, there are a few to choose from, few to fucking choose from. This goes along with the Live Aid theme as well. So we'll play the song, 
See if you can, you can pick have it. a listen. See if you know yeah. the artist. Here we go. You remember that one? Oh, what a good song. Gee, there weren't too many rock songs, pop songs with a fucking bagpipes in it, were there? You know. <laughs> just You're the Voice. Yeah, John Farnham and these guys. Yeah, just Farnsy. And uh, the Pretenders. Fucking oh, no, Akadaka. Akadaka oh, used yeah. to fucking pipe <laughs> yeah, or two. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Fuck they yeah. They love the fucking Scottish pipe. I'm sure Barnsley's done it somewhere. I don't know where, but. Now, I love these. I do love Big Country. I do actually love Big Big Country. They didn't have a lot of hits. This was pro- no, this was, they didn't. <laughs> this was their biggest song. This was their biggest song. It was Big Country is the name of the song. What was the name and of the band? Yeah, Big, Big Country. Big Country. Big Country by Big Country. Yeah, no, we're Eurythmics and this is our song Eurythmics. I know, you right? Know? That was big in the 80s though to call a band... Living in a box by living in a box or whatever, you know. Um, but I was always, as a kid, I used to think Big Country had been stuck in the country that they couldn't release another single. I actually thought that they got stuck there. Oh, fuck, really? And what they were, yeah, that's where my mind went. So as a kid, I thought, fuck, maybe they're stuck in the country and they can't get out of it, you know? Because country victims. to me was like a, yeah, 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 was like a, Forest, almost. Yeah, right, right. More victims out there in need of emancipation. The poor bastards. Um, but they were they were crazy. Those guys. They were nuts. They toured with um, Alice Cooper and got booted off the tour because they were fucking mental. They used to just right. drink themselves into oblivion every night, and and they were, and no one could understand them. You know the the. Um, no, the they Americans, wouldn't. Yeah, the Americans couldn't fucking understand them. They were just like, ah, just like fucking partiers, you know. Um, look, Big Country made the one dick list because they were invited to come and sing on the track Do They Know It's Christmas. They ah. didn't turn up. They didn't turn up. You know, everybody's got other things to do, but, you know, everyone else fucking turned up. Look, Bowie didn't, Bowie didn't come... Uh, Bowie didn't come. He sent his um, he sent his apologies. Um, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Didn't come. They sent their apologies. These guys really, they're not Had on nothing the better sa- to do. Yeah, they're not on <laughs> the same map. They could have put themselves no. on the same map, but they decided not to come. You with me? That's why they didn't make it. If they were the Australian map, they would be Tasmania. That's right. Remember us. 
No, we we love Tassie. I've we got mates Tassie. down there. And it Ken, Ken. Are you listening, Kenny. Ken? We haven't heard from well, you for a while, Are you still alive? Kenny. We haven't. We're concerned about Ken. Yeah. We had a discussion about that today. Throw us a like, Ken. We want to know that if you're well. That's right. We do. In these diseased times, we want to know if you're Absolutely. okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So there you go, big country there, our one dick wonder. What do we say to our one dick wonder? Nice one, dick. Yeah, that's right, fucking dick. Good job. Yeah. Very good one dick wonder. Right, now let's dive in. Shall I read the list of artists, Sammy, that we've got involved in our amazing show at Wembley Stadium? Well, what, what would be the best way to do it, babe? Would it be one at a time or would it? Shall we surprise people as we go through? Yeah, we'll just... I reckon we should because there's stories to go along with a lot of them. All right, lovely. Let's do that. Especially do that. the first act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, look, this was a huge undertaking. That That is an understatement. Not only are they trying to organise this massive show and keep the cost down so that they can sort of um, – Donate everything Make to charity. Mm. Yeah. Mm. They're, they're um, trying to coordinate what's happening in the US as well. Yeah. We're going to elaborate a lot on that um, in in the second episode of this show. Um, but it was a fucking nightmare. It was not. A, and not only that, they had problems with the stage. The stage wouldn't turn around. Everything was last minute. That's right. So it was, is that your dog? Oh, can you hear her? Yeah, that's uh, great. I'll have to have her put down before next, <laughs> next recording if she you can hear that. I think that I, I think can. she's I think she's actually telling me to shut up. All oh, right. Yeah, good luck, Cute. bitch. Yeah. <laughs> so they had last minute problems with the stage because it was a revolve stage, and that that's was right. Geldof's idea as well. Because they didn't they had all these fucking artists they. They had to sort of – they didn't have time to be bumping everybody on and off. So Geldof's mm. idea was like ha, have a revolve stage and they had it split into three. So not just like a, a, you know, half and half. They had it split into three. It was fucking ingenious. Such a great but idea. did it work? No. Did it fucking work no, on the day? No, it didn't work. Well, no. yeah. So they on their one – you know, they had one sort of tech run of this fucking revolve stage – and it didn't work. It fucking mm. bombed. So they're getting all these technicians in because they're basically having to save all their power for all the fucking amps and lights That's and right. everything that they've got set up. They had to bring in. they didn't have enough. They didn't have enough. And this is Wembley Stadium. Mm. They had to bring in. Um, this is another thing as well. This event pushed like technical barriers, like where – Pushed the the barriers of where people thought they could take these massive events. You know, things were capped by the technology and what you were able to do and sound. This this event pushed all of that, like pushed out the expectations. So they were having to get in like generators and extra power sources and all of this kind of shit. They had to get like. Um, multi-channel racks, like I think they had something like 12 different um, racks that they were like mixing because, you know, they, they would have they would be mixing one band, they'd have another, they'd have another desk for another band, etc. 
and it was just like you know, the 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 technical undertaking of this was immense. And not only that, Wembley Stadium were being a fucking nightmare. They wanted to charge them all this money. That's right. Yeah. They yeah. weren't going to do it for free. They weren't going to help them out. They were going to charge quarter of a million. So already they're in the red. Yeah. Yeah. Before they even get on stage. I was also just going to mention Harvey Goldsmith. He's a lawyer who helped him get through a lot of this stuff. Yes. Harvey was an incredibly funny guy that worked with Bob Geldof, that thought Bob Geldof was fucking crazy. Yeah. But actually they worked really well together. Yeah. And he suggested they get a fucking draft horse to pull the fucking stage around as a joke. <laughs> Which is really funny. Oh, that's so English, isn't it? I love that. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, look, they they miraculously it all came together. That they, they they say that they sort of they walked in in the morning because there is by now there's a bit of a team involved. Yeah, they walked in in the morning and. They all got there. They all got up at like six in the five, six in the morning, and got their first thing in the morning. And it wasn't until because the BBC were on board. It wasn't until the BBC started pouring in, and they were like an army. You know, like they were setting up, and they had this, they had this running order and everything, like exactly which time sort of different artists were going to go on. And it wasn't until they showed up on the day. That they were like, "Fuck! This is this is actually, this is actually happening. This is actually going to happen." Mm. And you they know? were really, really organized. Yeah, they had everything organized. So that was the surprise because it was so up in the air. Yeah, the BBC had it all written in point form and was ready to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is what you fucking want, you know. They they say it was like a war room. It was like um, the, you know, the, there's this big sort of <laughs> big chalkboard on the wall and they're sort of going through and everything and it was like it was like a war room it was like a general mm. with his army sort of going through the, the yeah plan, that's right the plan yeah, of yeah, attack yeah. anyway so so um in amongst all of this you know it's sort of getting getting um to the point where they're about to start letting the crowds in and that kind of shit uh, and it was a warm day. It was middle of summer in the really northern hemisphere, warm. you know, mm. um, and uh, a beautiful day too. They they um, they actually forgot for a moment that the royals were coming. Now, if if there's some kind of big event and the royals are going to attend, that it's protocol that they go through and have a lineup and meet all the artists. So that's the, right. The, the royals sort of turned up with their entourage, mm. and all of a sudden, mm. you're not allowed to do this, and you're not allowed to do that, and you've got to do the right thing, and fucking, you, you've got to consider all these protocols. And they've had forgotten about can't the fucking tell lineup. fucking Charles to get fucked. Yeah, you got to put your pants on. You can't have your dick <laughs> out. <laughs> you can't. You can't try and hit on Lady Di. Can't. Can't tit die off or anything like that. Um, Fuck, I would have loved it if Di had have fucked someone in that lineup. Oh, my God. I so, always wanted that to happen as a kid. Oh, she desperately wanted to. Oh, or one of the Duran Duran boys. Yes, one of them. Fuck, that would have been the best story. Yeah. No, you, want, you know what would have been great is if it was George Michael. That would have been gay heaven. 
<laughs> if, jo- if George Michael had a fuck princess die. <laughs> oh, fucking I. The, the last chick he ever f- bloody stuck it in was princess die. Wouldn't that be a, a you know, great way to go out? Well, and better he- than fucking Dumbo. Who? <laughs> He would have got she would have got more action from George Michael than the fucking dickhead she was married to. Oh god, Prince yeah. Charles. Yeah, yeah. He so couldn't fall play a fucking tennis ball. They quickly ran out to the, you know, various trailers and green rooms and stuff that was set up. And they were like, quickly, quickly, you've got to come and do the fucking royal lineup. So everybody's like, oh, fuck, like finishing their drinks and, <laughs> and smoothing down their collars and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they all came. They all With white came. white powder on their nose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're oh, all shit, sort of standing the there in the light up and, and Charles and Di are going through like shaking hands and everything. And isn't it amazing in in this COVID age, here we are, I'm looking at the handshaking like going, oh, God. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Now apparently. Well, he got COVID, the dumb cunt, didn't he? He did. Charles, yeah, but years later. Because he wouldn't later. stop shaking hands. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> years later. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it was a slow burn. Yeah. It was, and he was the first to fucking get it. That's right. Anyway, they reckon they reckon Princess Di was flirting because she loved yeah. these artists, you know. She was a young, oh. hot chick with money. Fucking oath she was. Yeah. With a good bod. Yes, a tall Amazonian blonde. And, like, all the, all the rock stars who have, like, you know, banged birds in their hundreds, <laughs> by their hundreds, they're all like little school, you know, turn into schoolboys and getting all nervous and stuff around her. Yeah. They reckon it was just the most compelling thing to see, like these exchanges between Di and these guys, you know. <laughs> I would have loved it. Fucking right. Yeah, yeah. Because there was three people in this marriage. That's right. I love when she gets interviewed and she goes, there were three people in this marriage. Remember, and she's got the eyeliner on. She's like looking up through. I love it. You know, like I've done I the fucking thing love it. See, if I had been her friend, I would have said, fucking root John Taylor. What the fuck are you doing with that Dumbo? Just fucking do it. She should have stayed in the marriage. And just yeah, shagged. Yeah, he didn't have to and know. And just shagged he all those blokes. Fuck exactly. Yeah. Become a queen. Fuck. Become a Absolutely. queen and still fucking be a massive slut. Fucking go skiing. Oh, Absolutely. my God. That oh. would have been everyone's dream. Shag everyone. Exactly. The butler, the driver, everyone. <laughs> fucking hell. Prince Charles would have if he didn't look like a fucking jug. <laughs> huh? <laughs> oh, God. Exactly. Oh. He fucking did, though. Isn't it the irony of it that he fucking was rooting an old bitch? Well, look, you know, like all those monarchs and everything all throughout history all had, they all had um, mistresses and fucking so forth. The, the, the marriage was to provide a legitimate heir and then beyond that it was like, fuck, you know. Yeah. Go for That's it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, we digress. So I love it though. <laughs> it's still morning and the gig is to kick off at 12 p.m. So you've got like BBC, BBC are sort of driving it. You know, they're the, they're the ones like driving this like a military operation. 
And so the, the all the crowd are there. They're going mental. It's absolutely full, Wembley Stadium. And um, they they asked this guy to sort of make the announcement, make, make the announcement as the Royals are beginning to be ushered down to their seats. And Which was Richard Skinner. Richard Skinner. You know, we used yep. to call – I love the surname Skinner. It reminds me of um, high school when <laughs> – Well, I had a best friend with the surname Skinner, so did this you? is interesting. It makes me yeah, laugh. It reminds mm. me of when in the early years of high school when some of the boys had gone through puberty and so therefore had a few pubes, some hadn't yet and they had no pubes. The ones with the no pubes got called Skinners. Really? <laughs> Far out. Isn't that, a Skinner. Yeah, a Skinner. If it was a little kid, like if it was a little kid, like but in the same year, you'd be like, hey, Skinner, come over here. You wouldn't know his name. Oh, Isn't that fucking rough? Fucking hilarious. Yeah. So uh, basically they the Royals are shown to their seats and this guy Skinner, can you remember what he said? Ladies and gentlemen, stand up. I fucking have no, no clue. There was a he there was a very famous opening line. Maddie might be able to help us out. The oh, very famous opening line, it was something like it was something like It's 12 noon in London, 7 a.m. in Philadelphia. And around the world, it's time for Live Aid. 16 hours of live music in aid of famine relief in Africa. Wembley welcomes their Royal Highnesses, the Prince and Princess of Wales. When this announcement was made, it boomed throughout the stadium. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was really loud. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody knew it was on. Everyone yeah. just went fucking mental. Yeah? They yeah. played um, the Coldstream Guards actually played, uh, did the Royal Salute and they played God Save the Queen because Prince That's Charles right. was there. Charles and Di were there. Um, yeah. So they did that. Can you remember who the very first act was to start playing after that? Well, everyone fucking picked on these guys, but it was status quo. It was status quo. You know, I picked on these guys as well up until researching this show. They right. are fucking legends. They are well, a fucking crack up. Yeah. And, and yeah. apparently Charles, so they started playing and look, they probably got chosen because of this. The very first song they played was Rockin' All Over they, the World. They did. Oh, yeah, that's right. Rockin' All Over the World. Yeah. And it's such a... Exactly. It's such a fucking happy opener. It's such an awesome opener. Like, fucking... Ding, 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 ding. You know, it's such an awesome yeah. song to open on. Such a fun start. And um, Bob, Bob apparently... Oh, because they were all whinging. All the artists were whinging because they didn't get a sound check. They didn't get a fucking sound check. So um, the status quo was sort of asking about a, a, a sound check. And, and look, by this stage, Bob had had enough. Bob yeah, had had yeah. a fucking enough. He's been to Africa. He's fucking faced the fucking dictator of, of Ethiopia. He had had enough of people and their fucking questions. 
Status quo asked if they could do a sound check, seeing as they were going first. And he said, "It, you know, it doesn't matter what the fuck you sound like. Just, just fucking show up. Just be there. Just walk out there." These guys opened the show. It was just, it just became a party. And apparently, Prince Charles turned to Bob, and because momentarily Bob was back with the with the royals, and he said, um, Charles was like, oh. he had no idea who they were, even though status no. quo were like. Uh, a, you know, basically a vintage act. Um, yeah. He had no idea who they were. And, um, you know, oh, who who are these guys? And he basically said, oh, they're status quo. They're so oh, loud. Okay. Yeah, yeah he, he was like, oh, you know, they're so loud. And he's sort of like clapping along. Princess Di is rocking out. She would have fucking loved it. Well, that's the thing with status quo. When everyone heard they were the first on the bill, everyone went, oh, fucking boring. Yeah. Status yeah, quo. Yeah. But what actually happened was as soon as they started, the crowd erupted. Yeah. And everyone just went, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. So yeah. it built, it took their reputation to ground zero to fucking sky yeah, high. Yeah. Where they could have sung fucking Mary Had a Little Lamb. Yeah. Because yeah. the crowd went fucking berserk. And this th- is where it became exciting. They've got great personalities, those guys. They're fucking hilarious. And and um, Bob also apparently explained to Prince Charles that they were chosen because they're like parodies of rock stars. They're, they're mm. like they're like a parody of themselves, you know. And and yeah, um, yeah. they're fun. They're funny. You know, it, it got everybody in a fucking great mood. So um, yeah, so they started. Status quo started. And they had a, um, they had just under a twenty-minute set, so they pushed three songs through basically. Who went next? Yeah, so they did uh, "Rockin' All Over the World," "Caroline," and "Don't Waste My Time." Yes. Uh, coming up, so they were they were they were pretty good. They were in and out, which was great, just like a horny whore. <laughs> and then the second act, the second act was um, my favourite, the Style Council. Yeah. As far as I've got. Yeah, yeah. You I know? thought his, um, I thought his vocal was great, but he was clearly shitting himself. Paul Weller. Yeah. Paul Weller's not an out there front person anyway. Yeah, right, right. I think what made the Style Council interesting. Was DC Lee. Okay. DC Lee was the fucking bomb in that band. Yeah, yeah. And they were going out at the time. Ah. They were shagging. So they were, they actually had a child together. Oh, right. So DC Lee was one of my favourite all-time artists. And she had a, a, a single on her own called See the Day in the 80s, which people will remember. But I, I, I did watch this back um, and I did think DC Lee was a little bit of the one that took the limelight from Paul Weller. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I do like Paul Weller, but I don't find him an amazing fucking front man. I think he's a great singer though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean it would have been so daunting in front of that crowd, but also knowing that you're going out to just just like 40% of the world. Oh, totally. You know. This was going to either break or make their career. Absolutely. Every band knew that was going on this show that this was going to benefit them. Yeah. It no, long, it no longer became just a benefit. It became a, a situation where you could really kickstart your band again. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's what happened with Status Quo is they started charting again. Yeah, After yeah. this. Yeah. 
But we did see Style Council do Fortune. So they did You're the Best Thing, Big Boss Groove, which is a fucking great song. We heard a new song called Internationalists, which I'd never heard on the day, and the walls come tumbling down. But they were great. They were, you know, and that's the thing I want to say about Live Aid. The sound was fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was like the heaven shunned down on this fucking day. Yeah. And yeah. made it all happen. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's you, you sort of you have these kind it's like your wedding day. Yeah, you, you, you know, there are little hiccups and like things that sort of otherwise if it was on another day it would fucking break your heart, but you know, on this day it's like nothing can possibly touch you it's like you be, you become untouchable and this was like an untouchable moment this was like there were there were hiccups but but it all it just added to the whole thing it's like woodstock woodstock was a fucking disaster behind the scenes Fucking nothing well, nothing worked you know but it was at the end of the memorable. day it's about the crowd that's right Nothing can go wrong if your crowd is there and they're fucking eating out of your hand. That's right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You could fucking do anything you want. Yeah, 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 that's right. Have you ever been to a festival or a show on a large scale and you've had a sense of like, oh, no, it's not working? You know, oh, no, no this is not bombing. really. Oh, fuck, The only I time have. I thought that was at Australian Made and the models were on. Yep. And the punters started throwing prima cartons at oh. the models because they wanted them and they were going to walk off. Jeez, jeez, And that's juice. the only time. Yeah, they all threw these prima cartons up in the air and the models were going to walk off stage at Australian Made. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> but I don't think I've ever really been that concerned. If it's not my job, I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. If yeah. my band was on the bill. Different yeah. situation. I was at a – I was at um, – I'm not sure if you would remember Harvest Festival. I think there were only two before the fucking – Yeah, the I do remember went, Harvest. Before the company went belly up. But they, yeah. they were at um, Werribee Mansion just here um, on the outskirts of Melbourne. And yeah. um, on the particular, particular year that I went with my band, we had sort of all-access artist passes – we got escorted through by um, security and we felt like the fucking Beatles. It was incredible. But they ran out of alcohol really, really early on and they ran out of food. And uh, and they the parking situation was a fucking nightmare. Parking in traffic was a fucking nightmare. So people had like sat in traffic, couldn't get a park, got in there. Um, bought, actually bought these tokens, bought these tokens because you had to line up to buy tokens for alcohol and then line up again for the alcohol. People had bought the fucking tokens and then by the time they got to the counter for the alcohol, they had run out. Oh, shit. So there was no communication between the token people and the bar to say, oh, how many have you sold this, you know? Do a run to the fucking bottle So they, they um Yeah, well that that's that's just a company looking f- out for making money before they've got the produce there. Yeah, they fucked up big time. It was really full on. But at that gig I did see Portis Head live. Yeah, right. And nice. It was like you could hear a pin drop. 
when they wow. were playing. It was they were phenomenal, and also phenomenal band. Also, who else? Look, really, it was just them. They were phenomenal. They were phenomenal. And so you can imagine on a larger scale, this gig would look like fucking kindergarten compared to something like Live Aid. Oh yeah, the amount of work. Bob and Harvey would have done. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know how he lived through it, to tell you the truth. Oh, look, if he was any older, you, you know, like the, yeah. just the stress would have killed him, you know. Yeah. It, I, I really think it aged Bob this whole ex- <laughs> this whole experience, you know. But um, Bob was actually next up on the lineup. So the he Boomtown was. Rats. He was. The Boomtown Rats played at quarter to one. They opened up with. I don't like Mondays. Yep. Bob got to the line. Can you remember this? There's a line yes, I in I don't like Mondays where he says the lesson today is how to die. Yep. The he lesson today is how to die and he raised his fist in the air and just paused the song and paused it seemed like forever and the crowd went mental. Something really changed in the air and it was like mm. – it was like this guy who was a punk who who had become a sort of new way. There was a huge there was a, a a bit of a a bit of a divide between punk and new wave and this guy sort of brought them together in that moment. He was like he was like a statesman, he was like a leader of the people, you know. He he was phenomenal. Um and it was a really special moment, really special moment in the show. Uh, yeah, no, awesome moment. They played Drag Me Down. Oh, Rat Trap. It wasn't Rats. Rats was Rat Trap. Rats Rats was the club in the in the city that I've been to once or twice. Um Rat, rat Trap was fucking the, rats. Yeah, yeah, rats. Never heard of rats. Yeah, they were down at down at the fucking down at the Yeah, the boom. Let's town, go to rats. rats. Yeah. Yeah, Get rats. Get our dick sucked. Rats, mate. You should have seen the rats, rats there. Rats, that didn't work. Yeah. Now, the Royals did uh, promise that they would be there for a couple of hours. They weren't going to be there forever. The Royals very discreetly slipped out. Around this point. Which I fucking don't get because I thought Di would have been waiting for Duran Charles would have hated it. Yeah, true. I would have fucking left Charles at home and fucking gone back. I would have as well. But she couldn't do that shit. She couldn't stay. Yeah, well, that's you know, right. She couldn't do that shit. They would have torn her apart. I know. You know I'm glad we weren't her PAs. Hey? We would have – I'm glad we weren't her PAs. We'd be having a fuck yeah, tip from each Yeah, go hole. out. Go out. <laughs> have you got smokes? Go out. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> Do you need any dingers? Yeah. Come on. Give it a go. Yeah. Ask Nick if he'll root you. Fucking go for it, darling. I'd oh, go for it. We would it. have been sitting back at the palace hoping it was happening. <laughs> Getting pissed ourselves. Just like seeing the car lights in the driveway. Like, oh, quick, quick. No, they're home. They're home. (laughs) Ah, fuck. Oh, okay. So the next prick that was up was Adam Ant. Yeah, look. Adam Ant. One song, wasn't it? He played one song. Now, Adam and Bob have very different accounts to Adam's involvement in this day. Apparently, according to Adam, Bob begged him to come on board 
and he begged him to come on board because the show wasn't selling and they needed Adam to help sell tickets. And it's like, oh. How the fuck would Adam yeah. sell tickets? It's like, all right, cunt. Yeah, all right. So we've got like fucking David Bowie, Queen, you know, and exactly. you're going to come on board and boost up fucking sales, are you? With your, yeah, yeah. with your one or two fucking hits and your eyeliner. Anyway, so. Um, and this would have been before Goody Two Shoes as well, so he didn't have a really big hit at all. No, that's right. That's right. Would he have had Stand and Dilver? Stand and Dilver. Stand and Dilver. He probably couldn't do that because he would have been sued. Because I think he'd left. I think he'd left. The ants, or something, at this stage. Ah, uh, yeah, the ants. I don't know. I could be wrong, but um, the so fucking ants weren't too happy. <laughs> the ants were fucking angry. They were running And he around. was introduced. He was actually introduced on stage by Harvey Goldsmith, which I don't know what the fuck that's about. Maybe Harvey was a fan of Adam Ant. Okay, so so Bob's account of all of this is oh. when he was. When Bob was like calling, you know, Bob would have had everybody, everybody wanting to come on board. They apparently knocked back like 500 acts. Well, that's right. At this stage, he'd proven himself. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so you know, this was the ticket to, to, to get on. You know, this was the show to be part of. Um, and uh, Adamant's agent apparently called Bob and said like, um, you know, oh, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't who you were thinking, but it, <laughs> no <laughs> negotiation. Yeah. Mm, um, were you thinking of, um, putting Adam, <laughs> all right, were you thinking of putting, <laughs> were you thinking of putting Adam onto the lineup? And, and Bob's reply was like, nah, I wasn't, he, um, um, I think he's a bit shit. So, so Bob yeah, right. Bob wasn't into the idea, and the agent talked him into it, and Bob was like, "Oh, all right, he can have one song." And so that's why he had one song. That's how right. he had the one song. Um, he said, "Like, I think he's sort of a bit irrelevant and stuff." And and yeah. So there well, we there we go. Now, um, I think I think Adam's nose was out of joint after the fact. And after, you know, after there were so many fucking phenomenal performances, Adam's nose was out of joint that he didn't sort of get the same success from his performance. And, he, he you know, he, if he had had more songs, he could have, like, showed off a bit more and it would have been better for him. He actually criticised the event afterwards, says he regrets uh, ever being part of it. Um, yeah. You know... Yeah, yeah, a bit of a shit out. Sounds reaction. like he was kickstarting his own solo career off this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the ants were no longer, and I think that's what he was trying to do, and it didn't work out for him because he wasn't that great. Nah, I don't think so either, really. Yeah. A bit like someone else we know. Yeah, that's right. All style, <laughs> all style, no substance. Oh, well, that's what you get. That's rock and roll. So what happens after fucking Adam left the building? Ultravox. So we've had... Yeah. We've had... Um, now, look, 
What Sammy was referring to before. Oh, I'm looking at the fan. What? What? Sorry, honey. No, you're right. What Sammy was referring to before when she was talking about the press conference, when they first announced this massive show, Bob sort of was really right up front. Even though Midge was the producer of the track, he wasn't necessarily one of the big movers and shakers in Live Aid. There was Band-Aid and there was Live Aid. And I think think Midge's fans thought that he was getting ripped off and Bob was hogging all the limelight and all of that kind of shit. See, the thing is, Bob was being judged by other people's egos as well. That's right. Bob was going through this kind of transformation where he was, like, losing his ego, losing his ego in order to um, make this all happen. You know, Mm. he had to humble himself and he was being judged by other people's egos. You know, he, he wasn't being given the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and do you also remember the girlfriend of Midge you were being interviewed about this? Yeah. How fucking annoying she was? Yeah. And I've dealt with these women in bands. Yeah. When they get involved in their partner's career, they fucking whinge and they whinge and they whinge and they fucking cause problems. Yeah. And then the actual people they're rooting fucking think the girlfriends are right. They become fucking their manager. And plant the seeds in their head. So Mitch did think he was getting... Mitch knew that he didn't mean anything by it, Bob Geldof. Yeah, But the girlfriend was narky. It's got nothing to do with you, cunt. Sit home and eat your fucking cheesels and shut the fuck up. Just some advice. Exactly. For any of the young ladies out there. (laughs) All right. All young men. Take it from me. All young men. Mainly ladies. That's right. (laughs) Mainly ladies, that's true. If your significant other is in a band, just shut the fuck up. Absolutely. Just shut the fuck up. Don't upset anyone. That's right. It happens all the time. They've got enough fucking drama going on without you weighing in and putting your fucking two cents in in the background. You'll... Exactly. Oh, God. Look. Because remember when they picked up the award for Band-Aid and she got pissed off that Geldof didn't have an award for him and that he stood behind oh him and he was God. standing there on his own. It's like, dickhead. Yeah. There's one award for one fucking song. Yeah, yeah. He he didn't whinge at the time. No, he didn't. He, he was quite candid in his autobiography. Um, really, but you know, it, by the time your by the time your biography comes around, that is your opportunity to fucking tell the truth. You know, your biography is meant to be, you know, towards the end of your career when you're reflecting on things that have happened, and it's like, here's the real story. You know, and you can fucking you can get a few things off your chest and make the book fucking interesting. Um, mm. You know, he talked a little bit about how. He, he clashed a little bit during the recording of Do They Know It's Christmas? He'd, he'd have to sort of fucking constantly tell Bob to get out of the the um, the, the, the studio and, and fucking, you know, he couldn't work with Bob looking over his shoulder. He was the producer, fucking get out. You know, he said that Bob was like, he kept telling 
the artist the wrong bits to fucking sing. So they'd get it, you know, they'd waste so much time because Bob would be fucking like telling them the wrong thing rather than just leaving it to Mitch as producer to, to let them know. And so, look, there were like things like that. But in terms of like feeling ripped off that he should have got more attention and more recognition, he never said anything. It was just the girlfriend. Yeah, that's right. And the way she portrayed it, that wasn't the issue. The issue was to help feeding you know, hungry children. Yes. Not your boyfriend didn't get his fucking dick sucked on the fucking awards night. Getting a big pat you on the back. You suck his dick. You suck his dick, bitch. You do your job so we can fucking watch him, right, <laughs> be a fucking nice cunt. If you'd sucked his dick harder, we wouldn't be here in this situation. I fucking tell chicks this shit, man. I actually lay it down for them and go... This is how it works. You suck their dick, you make them happy, everything fucking works. I told you about that work function I had, didn't I, where there was a girl like whinging that she couldn't keep a boyfriend and like this older bloke just sort of, (laughs) this older bloke like (laughs) went, oh, well, do you give head? And she was like, what? And and he like went, no, do you suck cock? And she was like. It's the reality (laughs) of it. She she was like, no. And he he like went, oh, there's your problem. There's your problem. <laughs> ah, Mate, I would have been agreeing with that. Oh, God, that made me laugh. Anyway. Fucking funny. Once again, back to Ultravox. So Ultravox played um, Reap the Wild Wind, Dancing with Tears in My Eyes, One Small Day and Vienna. I love Vienna. I really, I, I really do love Vienna. I love that song. I love Vienna too. Yeah. I love that song. Now, didn't he crack the shits because he wasn't, up the bill a bit higher or something? No. So there was like there was like this, you know, more fucking rumours and bullshit. Yeah. There was a yeah. rumour that um, Ultravox were meant to play after Style Council um, yes. when Boomtown Rats played and for some, for some reason they were swapped. Bob didn't know. Was it because... Bob the didn't Prince know Charles what. Prince Charles and Lady died. No. Well, I think maybe it was somebody at BB. Nobody knew when the Royals were going to leave. So, so you know, I, I really can't see anybody going. Oh, we have we have to make sure that Bob, um, and because Bob didn't do it. Bob didn't fucking do it. Bob was on no, the phone. No, he didn't. Bob no. was on. Bob was no. mo- momentarily next to the Royals, and then he was on the fucking phone because he was trying to do damage control for all the shit that was happening in the US. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they had this, and I think it was the girlfriend that said this shit as well. Yes, Midge's girlfriend. Yeah, 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 yeah. Might have been her. Yeah. So she blamed Bob for swapping Ultravox on the lineup with Boomtown Rats. Now, if Ultravox had played with Boomtown Rats had played, the Royals would have seen the w- Royals would have seen Ultravox live, and instead mm. they saw Boomtown Turn Rats. And it's like, once again, this ain't the point Not of the day. You. Exactly, that's right. Ah. It makes me very mad. Yeah, me too. Me too. Imagine, yeah. Oh God, yeah. Anyway, fucking hell. Just people's petty fucking insecurities. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway. Now, just in saying this, um, I'm pretty sure we crossed to the Sydney Entertainment Centre, Oz for Africa, before Ultravox. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. 
Oz for Africa now, Al. Brian Cannon was in that. Yeah. And Fuckstick was in that. Yeah. And Scotty Khan and all those dudes. So we did cross for where the did, where did we Australian have, version. Where did we have the Australian version at the at the KFC in Port Melbourne? Where, yeah, no. Where was it? Sydney Entertainment oh, Centre. Oh, whoop de doo Yeah, I just thought I'd let people know that because people will forget that there was an Australian part of it as well. Oh, all around the it world. it wasn't a huge part. Yeah. yeah it wasn't yeah. a huge thing, yeah. There were concerts all around the world but, you know, simply trying to coordinate USA and UK was like a massive undertaking. You look at – I mean, it's done all the time these days. You look at Eurovision. Yeah. You know, and all the, all the syn- synchronicity that needs to go on there with all those fucking countries, yeah? Yeah. Not fucking countries but, you know. You know what I'm Fucking saying? Countries. Yeah, we love. So who? And then we. And then what did we have after that? We Japanese? had Spando Fucking Ballet. Your mates. A Spando Ballet. Hey, who? Yeah, yeah, who yeah. was it that you hung out with from Spando? Tony Hadley. Ah, oh, yeah, the lead singer. The lead singer. Yeah, big Fun. tall cunt. In fact, I took a selfie of myself and Tony, and I reversed the photo. And I don't know how to do that. And the first photo I took. I didn't reverse it, and it took a photo of our shoes. Oh, great! And he just took, yeah, he took the phone off me and went, "Can I please do this? Because I'm, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't do selfies. Can I please that much. do this? <laughs> yeah, he did. He said, "Can I actually take the photo? Because you know, Cause you're, you're fucking hopeless." You're clearly a- and I said, "Yeah, can you? Because I need you to take. I need you to take over. I've just taken one of your nice shoes and my fucking sandals." Oh. <laughs> you didn't have your Crocs on, did you? No, I don't have any Crocs, but <laughs> I, I remember I just finished right? work, yeah, and I was ta- I was showing them I was showing Tony who Maddie was on stage with Pseudo Echo. That's my boyfriend up there, Tony. Tiny. Yeah, because I didn't I, I I didn't want that's right I didn't want Tony to think I wanted to shag him. Yeah, because there are a lot of chicks around him, and I fucking hate that feeling of a rock star thinking you want to fucking shag them. Not that he would have anyway, but I just don't like the feeling of it. And we've talked about this before. Now, being a rock star, mm. it's lovely to have a chat with one of your fans or, it is. or patrons and for the hard word not to be laid on at the end. Like it, it, That's an, exactly. Another bit of advice. Another bit that of advice <laughs> for, peop, for young ladies out there. There and, we go. And some young men. Yep. How to fuck someone let for me, dummies. Yeah, let me put that hard word on you. Don't exactly. If you meet a rock star, don't That's like right. go. Don't like go. Ah, oh, have you had a nice day today? Oh, yeah, did don't you? Don't fucking <laughs> and pull then, your undies and down then too go soon. Like, fucking, do you want to wrap your laughing gear around this or? <laughs> Don't do it. Exactly. They're not Don't interested. Don't start fingering yourself just yet. They have had more fucks than feeds and they are not exactly. interested in you, mate. That's exactly right. Yeah. But they fucking try it on. Yeah. Just have a lovely chat and leave it nice. Don't make it awkward for fuck's sake. Exactly. Be yourself. But look, if you're Be hot. Be yourself. If you're hot, fucking grab my cock if you want to. Anyway, if so. If you're hot, you should. Exactly. I was hoping you hung out with, was it Gary Kemp? Was he the bass player, the hot bass player that was in Bodyguard? Nah, Gary Kemp was, oh no, that was, Gary Kemp is the one in Bodyguard, yeah. Yeah, he's the bass player. Oh no, player, hang on. 
Bass player's Gary Kemp, yeah. Yeah. He what was it was he in bodyguard, he was, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he was he was um That's her right, manager, they remember? both acted. Did they? Ah. They both acted, both brothers. Because one was in EastEnders. Ah, uh, Gary yes. was in EastEnders. Right. The other brother, I'm not sure if it was the other brother in Bodyguard. No, nah, it was Gary in Bodyguard. Remember. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Gary yeah. played well, Gary, Rachel's manager. The British manager. Gary is Shirley from Pepsi and Shirley's husband. Is that right? From Wham. Yeah. There we go. So they're married and, yeah, they're married with kids. He's got a kind and face, they're, they're, Gary. He's got a kind face and they've been married for a fucking long time. These guys have made success with their marriage. Kind of face. Because you had Wham. Yes. Yeah, Wham and um, Wham and fucking Spandau Ballet. That's how they would have met and they're still together now. It's kind of a little bit like Andrew Ridgely with... um, um, Who was he with? Karen. Karen from Banana Rama. I think they've split up. Oh, they have, but they were together for years. They were together for years. And that was exciting too. It was. Now, they played Only When You Leave, they played Virgin, and they played True. Now, we didn't know Virgin. We hadn't really heard that song. No, that's right. Um, Which was good because a lot of acts did throw in a new song. Now, had they released Gold yet? Well, Gold and True are on the same album. Yeah, right. But I'm so not sure whether gold. they'd released it. No, I don't know why. Wouldn't you do Gold? I think they, well, I think a lot of acts did some songs off their new album just to sell the next album because Madonna did the same thing. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. What she what she played, you wouldn't have ex- you wouldn't have um, expected. Yeah, no, she did. Yeah, that's right. She did sort of current album stuff. Although she did holiday. She did love makes the world go round and get into the groove and holiday. That's yeah. right. All right. So next, you've got this guy. I'm not a huge fan of this guy. This nah. this for me would have been a bit of an anticlimax. Uh, he only did one song, didn't he? He just did the one song and, and not one of his, um, which no. is probably did everyone a favour. Um, he he actually <laughs> – it was Elvis Costello anyway, who I'm, I'm not into. And yeah. he said to the crowd, all right, help me out. I'm going to sing – I'm going to perform an old English folk song. And he mm. played All You Need Is Love by the Beatles. Yep. He actually – look, the vocal was good. Mm. The vocal was good. Did he? Was it just him and a guitar from memory? Or? I think so. Well, look, possibly one of the changeovers, you know. Yeah. Well, they fucking push the push the big fucking revolver around. They got the draft horse to fucking pull the revolving. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pull yeah, the yeah, revol- yeah. Revol- Revolving stage around. Now the next totally. one after old mate mm. after Abbott and Costello, you had um, Nick Kershaw, best hair of fucking the eighties. Nick Kershaw, he did a few songs. He was only a little fella, wasn't he? Tiny. Yeah. Now, Tiny little one. He he did a few of his bigger hits. He did Wide Boy, Don Quixote, The Riddle and Wouldn't yep. It Be Good. I love Would it, Wouldn't It yep. Be Good. So do I. I love The Riddle too. Yeah. I love The Riddle too. He looked pretty the nervous. The Riddle's like his Goonies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to Cindy Lauper's Goonies, he had the riddle. It always reminded me of that kind of similar 
You know that kind of fucking. Remember, he had the Riddler in the film clip, following him through the big. Yeah, yeah, following through the big. He was inside a big question mark. Remember? That's right. Just get the shit. And this was the first time. In uh, just going off the subject, but wouldn't it be good? We saw the chroma key effect of all the, the pictures on his body. So they put him in a green suit, and then you could see a chroma key effect on his suit. That's it was right. a really good video. That's right. Mm. And people were like, fucking, oh, wow. Yeah, oh, it was a trippy fucking thing. how? Isn't it amazing you look back on those old technologies, those, those old sort of visual effects? And it's mm. just, <laughs> you know, they have not aged well. But us at the time, we're just like, like, fucking war. Yeah, yeah, that's Fuck. right. I don't, I don't have a bad word to say about Nick Kershaw. I think he's amazing. Yeah, oh, that's good. So I would have enjoyed that if I was there. Yeah, yeah. He, he Even looked Nikki. quite nervous on the day, but his voice was mm. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good yeah. sound. Yes. I couldn't believe the sound. Yeah, yeah. Now next you had Sade. I can't fucking oh say a bad thing about Sade, mate. Mate, you know what I'm like with Sade. I fucking love her. I would. No, I won't say what I'd do. I was fucking sitting there watching this. I remember the time. I had three packets of chicken and a biscuit and fucking... Red cordial and I was maxed up to the tits watching Sade <laughs> because I had to stay up. It was getting late now. Oh, wow. But she did this thing where she did this big – she had a backless dress on and it was the first time we'd seen her live as well, like we hadn't really seen much of Sade live. She turned around and she put her arms out and you see her bare back and it was the fucking thing I nearly fell off yeah, the chair. Yeah, yeah. It was like – Beautiful women like her, beautiful women like Sade, mm. every inch of their body is stunning. And, exactly. And if you see their back like that, like completely mm. kind of exposed, you might as well be looking at her boobs. Like, like you, you know exactly. what I mean? It's, it's so That's beautiful. Right. I remember I saw um, um, Jennifer Hawkins at the races <clears throat> and up close, you know, like she was right next to me. And mm. same thing. In the fucking bird cage. Yeah, in the bird cage. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I was. Did you have a shit? Did you have a shit in the fucking bird oh, cage? Oh, not next to her. No way, oh. mate. I held <laughs> it in next to Jennifer. Did you hate if you had a budgie and you had to clean the bottom of the bird cage? It was the worst job in the fucking world. Oh well, not a few of my nana. She just fucking fry them alive and not worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah. I can't be fucked with this bird any longer. Fly into the fucking fan. Now, um, yes. So, look. Jennifer Hawkins. Jennifer Hawkins. Her back was incredible. Sade's Mm. back is incredible. She played Mm. an amazing set. The vocal was incredible. Yeah, she was mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Show me a chick. show Show me a chick from the 80s. Who hates Sade? Fuck, you'd be. Well, there were. Really? There were chicks. Too feminine for some chicks. Really? The fucking Aussie chicks that wouldn't have fucking liked Sade. I don't know, mate. She they like fucking Akadaka. She could have taught us all, I think. She was fucking. She was just incredible, just sublime. The, 
the thing with Sade vocally, I love the way she slides up to the note. Is it a crime? Yeah. Like she slid. And it slid out of pitch a lot of the time Absolutely. in this concert. But it was fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it when you're for anybody that doesn't know, that very thing that Sammy's talking about, sliding into the note, is actually quite undesirable. Like they will try mm. to train you out of that. Um, yeah, that's right. They they encourage you to find the note straight away. You know, you find that's the note right. straight away. You don't like, oh. um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sade had this beautiful bluesy thing where she would go slightly flat and slightly sharp, and it, it just worked. It just worked. She had a yeah a, an amazing sense of her voice where she didn't ever do too much. Absolutely. And I remember as a kid listening to Sade and I'm pretty sure I started getting that same style in my voice. Yeah. And a singing teacher tried to whip that out of me yeah. as fast as they could. Yeah. And I actually like that slide up. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. So you know when she sings. Tell me. Absolutely brilliant. So we're hitting around the 3 o'clock, 3 p.m. mark at this point in, in yeah. the UK back in 85. Um, Sting takes the stage with our old mate Phil Collins. Oh, we would have been throwing fucking potatoes at their head. Now look, Sting sang Roxanne. That would have been fucking awesome. Um, yep. Driven to Tears, which... I've been driven we to tears been. by <laughs> both Sting and Phil Collins. Yes. Um, Phil got up and then did Against All Odds. This this song is a bit of a tearjerker with me. I don't know why. Just, just a, Oh, it's a good song. A lot of Phil's songs are tearjerkers. He had quite a painful divorce. You know, he had he had sort of painful for everyone. Yeah, yeah for fucking yeah, everyone. Yeah, not just Phil. But you really, fucking everyone. you really got a sense of it in in especially those two songs, Against All Odds and In the Air Tonight. Um, Sting did Message in a Bottle. I think everyone was hoping that Sting would get up with, um, that he would get up with the police. But he's too much of a right. cunt for that, so he didn't. <laughs> he, he didn't do it. He left them. Oh, were they not there? No, they would have done it. Like he, yeah, he wouldn't have. Okay. He, yeah. No, they had, right. had had enough of each other. Um, well, against all odds, wasn't Rachel Ward in that movie? Was it Rachel Ward? I think you could be right. Yeah, I think you could be right. With that, because I remember seeing her short hair in the video clip, and I actually liked that movie. There and was that's another why stunning that woman. Song Rachel yeah, Ward yeah, when she was absolutely. young. Absolutely. Yeah. She married fucking, fucking who's his name? There you go, Pando. Yeah. Yeah, he was a legend. Yeah. Fuck yeah. And they've got a beautiful daughter too. 
Um, yes. Oh, I can imagine she's gorgeous. Um, oh, 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 Matilda. Matilda Brown. She's Matilda stunning, Brown. Stunning with, yeah. with yeah. those jeans. Beautiful. So, so um, in the air tonight, Phil Collins, and he didn't he didn't point out the the murderer in the crowd, which was a shame. Um, long, long way to go. They both sang, and every breath you take, they both sang. Sting was probably wishing wow. that um, Phil had to shut the fuck up. But um, <laughs> maybe they both sang it, and it was great. Now Phil had big plans. Coolest thing Phil's ever done. Phil thought he'd do a boy George. Phil had plans. Phil was going to go. He got a chopper to Heathrow Airport. Concord, Concord. He got oh a, yeah, he yeah. Got chopper, a chopper to Heathrow. To Heathrow. That's right. He yep. got the yep. Concord to the USA, and then he got choppered to. Uh, to Philly, to JFK Stadium. On the way, guess who was on the flight? Cher. Oh, I fuck. Was she? Cher was on the flight. She had no idea that it was going on. She had no idea about the show. So Phil would have been like, yeah, I'm doing this, uh, you know, I'm doing this show. I'm, I'm fucking on the flight and I'm going to go and play the gig. And she was like, ah, oh, yeah, can I come? So she came. Really? She came with she him. Did? Yeah, she did? Yeah, she went awesome. with him to, um, to, the, to the Philly gig. <laughs> fucking How fantastic. Good on her. And I think she got up and sang at the, at the end as well and probably – she might have probably yeah. did a few lines and rooted a few of the musos. Absolutely, made, made a day of it. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So while the uh, draft horses are pulling around the stage, you had Howard Jones just <laughs> just doing the one song, just doing hide and seek. Hide and seek. Did that's he? A, that's a fun name for a song, isn't it? Ooh. Never even heard of it. Do you want to play hide and seek? I would have thought he would have oh. fucking done anything hide else. Hide the salami. Yeah, hide the salami. Yeah. I I would have thought he would have done anything else from his catalogue apart from this song. Fucking but there you go. like to get to know you well, anything, anything better than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Don't know why that happened. Look, they... They probably saw it as an opportunity to get some sales on their current hit. Yeah, know? that's right. And it would have. It would have. Um, so he literally basically had about 10 minutes or so on stage. Oh, Howard, I don't know if he fucking told some jokes or something to fill the 10 minutes mm. after Hide the Sausage. But we then went to <laughs> – it's 4 o'clock by now and we've got Brian Ferry on stage. Oh, another brilliant performer. Yeah. Yeah, Brian. Fucking, this is my favourite fucking album of fairies. Yeah, yeah. Sensation, Boys and Girls, Slave to Sensation. Love. Sensation. And. Slave to Love. Was, uh, and Jealous, Jealous Guy. Guy. Jealous yeah. Guy makes me want to kill myself. Really? In the you don't nicest like that way possible. Even. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of it either. It makes me so. Because it was a John Lennon song. Yes. Yes. Mm. It makes me so sad, that song. I remember hearing it when I was a little boy and being like, Yes. Like not knowing why I was sad. Mate, that song, holy shit. I used to think when I heard Jealous Guy on the radio, fuck, I wonder if I'm going to grow up to be a psychopath when I get jealous. (laughs) Because it really concerned me. Yeah. 
that this issue of this song was about trying to get into someone's life even though they didn't want you. Yes. I was quite concerned that if people are writing songs like this, am I going to turn into being jealous? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, look, it is a very difficult confronting territory when a guy writes about the darker part, part of his psyche but with the best mm. intentions. You know what I mean? Mm. But you can imagine John Lennon was hurt and, you know, missing this person and blah, blah, blah and wanting back into their lives. But it is dark territory, you know. It's Fucking oh. It's dark territory, you know, considering mm. the lengths to which some men go. And, you know, you look at songs like, say, Closer by Nine Inch Nails where it's like, I want to fuck you like an animal. Mm. That's one of my favourite songs because... Mm. That is how men think when they mm. want to fuck somebody. It's not like fucking mm. rose petals and champagne, let me tell you that. I'm the same. Yeah. I need to hear the fucking, not the rose petals. And it's a bit rose petally for me, jealous guy. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But for me with Brian Ferry, I brought all his solo albums. I thought he was fucking phenomenal. Yeah. And, of course, this is where we, we hear Trevor Horn at his best, you know, yep. like with, with all the songs. And um, Slave to Love was a beautiful song. Sensation. I wet my pants watching this when it was on on the day. I love Brian Ferry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if, um, speaking of slaves, I wonder if, um, and, and, and remembering Slave to the Rhythm, I wonder if our grace was ever uh, approached for this gig. Okay, so there was a bit of racism involved with this gig. Yeah, tell us about it. So what – I don't know much about it. You probably know more than I do. But I know that people were starting to accuse Bob of being racist without using a lot of black artists. Now, Bob was like, dude, I don't care if they're orange, pink, fucking whatever, a lesbian with one leg. If they want to fucking do it, they can do it. But because – there was a lot of conspiracy around with the USA for Africa and all that stuff, which we'll get onto on part two. He felt like there was a lot of racism and it just wasn't the truth. Yeah, no, that's and we true. Weren't as, and we weren't as, you know, nowadays racism is, it, it's a different word. Racism to me nowadays means confronting and actually going you know, calling something out that really isn't racist, you know. You can say, oh, well, my auntie's Chinese. Oh, well, you're racist. Yeah. Because your auntie's Chinese. It's like, yeah, but she is Chinese. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Or, yeah, so yeah. My, my auntie's time. Asian. Oh, you can't say Asian. It's like you can't yeah. say Asian yeah. these days. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, but of course you can. We're very, very sensitive these days with um, oh. uh, political correctness. I think... I think it stands in the way sometimes. I think, look, I think some does. people have a long way to go in terms of their yeah. their personal politics, you know. Like you've got like fuckwits out there like Sam Newman and so forth. But, but um, you know, in this time political correctness was barely a blip on the map. So they, they – And especially with musicians. Yes, that's right. That's right. They said, they said to Bob – if you're doing a if you if you're raising money for Africa, don't you think you could have had some Africans on the fucking lineup? And Bob's reply was like, "No, because I had to raise as much money as I could. That was the goal, 
And the way that I was going to do that was get the biggest names available, whether they were black, white, purple, yellow, you know. And, and you know, that... That that is that is the right answer. These for for That's that time right. for that time for what he was trying to do. That is the right answer. The I mm. mean, these days you do have to have you do have to be considerate of diversity. Um, mm-hmm. it would have gone in. It would have perhaps gone in a different uh, direction. You know. It would have gone in. A different well, I direction. never looked at Charday and thought, oh, she's different. I can't love her music. Like there was no fucking thing like that. No. Sade was on there. She was beautiful. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You wanted to be Sade. Yeah. You just wanted to be her, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we're up to Paul Young and this is a very pivotal moment in the show um, that we're barely not even halfway through. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, I know. So Paul Young. Paul Young did the intro the the intro to Do They Know It's Christmas? Yep. Because they were aware of a, a big turning point. Um, Come Back and Stay, he sang That's the Way Love Is with Alison Moye from, from Yazoo. And from Alison Moye. Um, and yeah. he played uh, Every Time You Go Away, which was his big hit song. Mm. He's basically singing every time you go away and in the middle... You take a piece of meat yeah, with you. Yeah, you take a piece of meat with you, you, <laughs> you fucking pervert. You go into my freezer and you take a piece of fucking meat with you. <laughs> I love it. Whether it's a sausage That's or a That's our next chop. episode, Misheard Lyrics too, by yes. the way. <laughs> next step is Misheard Lyrics for our birthday special. Yeah. So he's singing halfway through every time you go away. Everybody's panicking because they have to basically fucking interrupt his song to cross to the US. The USA are starting. The USA are starting and they are not waiting for fucking Paul Young to finish his song. But miraculously, Paul finishes the song just as they cross to the USA. Big things are happening over there. We're going to elaborate on what's happening with the US set in the second part. Part two. Yeah, part two. Yep. So let's cover that down when you're a little bit older. Yes. Um, so basically we cross to the USA and we're back in the UK. Back in the UK. You two, who are an up-and-coming band at the time. Um. They were. Look, they, you know, they were respected enough to be sort of in between Paul Young and Dire Straits. So they were doing okay, but they were, you know, they were still establishing. They weren't you 2 as we know them now. Um, no. They played Sunday Bloody Sunday, which is their big sort of political hit. They then played, they had three songs planned. They then um, played their song Bad. And they had snippets of Satellite of Love, Ruby Tuesday, Sympathy for the Devil and Walk on the Wild Side. Now, they they did it as a sort of medley, like a jam. You know, they're jamming out their song bad. While, while it's playing, Bono could spot this girl in the front row that was starting to get crushed by the crowd. That's right. And mm. he started sort of going mental and they're... They're singing, 
they're singing. Um, he's trying to um, get through this medley, and they're sort of jamming out, jamming out. He suddenly sort of puts the mic down or on the stand and jumps down. He's not huge either. He's a little fella, well, well over four foot. And um, he sort of jumps down on the first tier, like where all the wedges are, and then jumps down into the pit, into the massive sort of um, space in between the front row and the and uh, the front row of the crowd and the actual stage where the security are, and and the media and all and that the shit. media and everything. And he's yeah. trying to tell them that this girl is getting crushed, and they can't understand what the fuck he's talking about. Mm. Anyway, they eventually Jerry and they pick this girl up out of the crowd and pull this girl in and Bono basically hugs her and they just sort of yeah. spontaneously start dancing because he knows that he saved her. She knows that um, he saved her. Um, and he's Bono. And he's Bono and probably smells great. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Um, but everybody thinks that he's like picking a chick out of the crowd, you know. They 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 were actually they actually had this really sort of tender moment, and they they the band at the time didn't know what was going on. They didn't know where he was. He, no, they did. He had sort time. of jumped off stage. They had fucking no idea where he was, and they they're mm. eating up their time. They're eating up all their fucking time. Um. By the time that he got up on stage, they were fucking furious. The rest of the band were fucking furious. They wanted to sack him. They wanted to walk off and sack him. As good as his voice was, they were fucking incensed by... by, They thought he had just, like, uh, you know, had a star, had a diva turn and fucking pulled a chick out of the crowd or whatever. Anyway, um, they didn't have enough time to play their big hit song, which was Pride in the Name of Love. In the name of love. You know, that would have fucking lifted the roof off, but there just wasn't the the time. And, however, the crowd loved it. It was like a gesture of the rock stars stepping off the stage and making contact with the crowd. It was a huge Mm. sort of... um, Huge moment, huge sort of political moment there. That's right, because what the band thought had fucked their career had actually just made, made their it career. Even bigger. Made their career. Yeah. It put them on the map. And in saying that, let's just talk about how you two tried to get out of the concert 12 hours before it started. So we've got Bono on the phone, or the management of you two going, ringing bloody Geldof in the middle of the night, going, we don't want to do it anymore. We don't want to play with you anymore. Yeah. And Goldoff was like, well, fuck off then. And then it's been the biggest turnaround of their career. The hugest turnaround for you two to do this gig. They become household names. Yeah, he literally told them to fuck off. And they, um, they, he had had enough. They, they just changed their minds and they turned up. And, and the reason they were going to pull out is because they couldn't get a sound check. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Bono, amazing as his voice um, is, can be quite pitchy. Yeah. Yeah. So they they really, they have long, detailed sound checks and they always have. Oh, yeah. can't fucking 
I just can't stand vocals that need fucking long-winded. Yeah. Just doesn't make sense. It's like they need yeah. their ego. Oh, yeah. I mean, when things are sounding shit, um, you need you need to be convinced that that the audio people are fucking going to at least start you in a good place. But, um... Yeah, I, I, I just fucking do it. I'm just like, I know my sound, guys. You know, I've, yeah. I have sat through a lot of vocals that fucking take an hour. And it's like, really? Yeah, yeah, You know, absolutely. a lot of that's technique. Yeah. A lot of that can be technique. You're right. Um, I was going to say that um, I didn't like... Who's the drummer of you 2 oh, What's, what's his, his name, the drummer? Adam, is he the drummer? Adam. I think it might be. It Ad- no, no, Adam's the bass player. Larry Mullins is the drummer. Right. Larry and Bono were being interviewed on this thing I watched and they did not believe Geldof could pull this off. Yeah, yeah. They were quite bitchy. Um, a lot of people were amazed. A lot of people were yeah. fucking amazed. You know, mm. I think a large part of the success of this whole thing was how much everybody had underestimated it to begin with. Totally. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've got that extra bit of growth, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, we're going to wrap things up very soon. We're going to just touch on these next two acts. They are quite substantial um, because we are going to cover the last half of this show in the second episode because by now the USA uh, contingent of of Live Aid was happening and we we, well, we, just, yeah, that's we right. want to talk about, you know, because they were crossing back and forth at this point. So, that's right. And we will cover yep. that in the, in the um, sec- second edition. Mm. So yep. we're going to talk about Dire Straits very briefly because I can't stand them. Uh, <laughs> money for nothing. They sang that with Sting. Sting did all the, that's the way you do it. He did all the fucking upper harmonies. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they did Sultans of Swing and I can't stand that song or, or their faces. Fucking horrible. Yeah. So yeah. die straight. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Done. Um, righto. And, let's, and, and we did and we did, re, and we did talk about how they worked across the road. Um, we'll just recap. Yeah. They came in from the other gig, came in and did... Live Aid because they were sort of in the same area at the same date. The management had seen that. So just touch on that again so we all know that. Next act. So they fucked off across the road to their own gig. Um, they did. Next act. We're going to finish this how we opened it with Queen. Yes. Queen with the next act. Now, surely everybody out there has gone and watched the film Bohemian Rhapsody, which is the um, the the film about Queen and Freddie Mercury in particular. Um, They did take quite a a lot of poetic license with the timelines with um, Bohemian Rhapsody, the film. Um, You might remember from the film... Hopefully I'm not ruin, ruining this for anybody uh, who hasn't seen it yet. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, fuck off, turn this shit off. If you haven't seen it, I want to throw you some money because yeah. every fucking cunt has. Turn, turn this shit off and go and watch Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> right now. because Go you, and pat your pussy. Yeah. Um, yeah, they did take a bit of licence there because Freddie didn't 
have HIV or know that he have had no, HIV of he didn't. and broke it to the band in the rehearsals before they went on for this. It was to add gravity and dramatic sort of gravitas to the moment in the film. You know, they they they, and I, they played with the timelines. It's not actually how it fell in real life. It did happen. Yeah. Um, but not as you saw it in the film. Yeah? And I don't even think he had vocal problems here. That wasn't true either. No, no. Because they blamed the vocal problems on the AIDS or something, yeah, I think. Yeah, And that he was starting. Now, I'm just going to talk about fuckwits on the fucking YouTube, hey. right? There are so many fucking dumb singers that believe this movie. Singing teachers on the internet that think Freddie was losing his voice and critique his performance on Live Aid. It gives me the shits. Who the fuck are you to critique bloody Queen anyway? One of the most amazing vocals and fucking recorded music history. Exactly, and what the fuck have you done? He had a little, you know, he had, it was had a, a, a an improvised, shaky little note in the first line, and they critiqued that. It's like go fuck yourself. Exactly, yeah, yeah. No, it was just funny. I thought it was a really funny situation that you know people that you don't even know anything about yeah. fucking critique the best singers in the world. Yeah, yeah. Now, one thing that the film did get right, I believe, is that Queen hadn't spoken to each other for quite a long time beforehand. Freddie had dabbled with some solo stuff and it was just shit really. Mm -hmm. Like it was, yeah, yeah, it wasn't any good. Um, And their manager had sort of orchestrated getting them back on, uh, getting them back together by getting them on this lineup. This was the this was a reunion for them. Really the public didn't know if they had broken up, what the deal was. They certainly hadn't yeah. um uh played with each other for ages. Yeah. Um and also we must remember that Geldof had announced Queen were going to be on the tour at the press conference. Yeah. Yeah. He And the Queen's management couldn't fucking believe yeah, it. Yeah. 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 He, he did this basically and this is something that happens in the music industry. When you're trying to put something together, uh, you, yeah, you, you kind of tell a few fibs about who is on the lineup. If you're trying to get somebody big, like if you're trying to get fucking Elton John on the fucking lineup, you're going to tell him that Queen and David Bowie and Mick Jagger are appearing. Really. Absolutely. Yeah, really. He can't, you know, he has to come. If those guys are there, he is going to come. And that's what happened. That's what he did and that's what happened. Um, But I think in the process of doing so, he had forgotten to ask Queen. (laughs) And so he, uh, he announced it. He announced that Queen were playing and they were just like, what? (laughs) Yeah. So, um. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and look, th- this this happens all the time. This happens at every every level of um, of uh, gigs, music music festivals. You've got to fake it till you make it. That's right. That's what it is. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. And then you, mm. you, you just make it happen. You make it happen. Make all the little jigsaw pieces fall into place. Now, um, mm. uh, Freddie came out and just did a solo. Um, of Bohemian Rhapsody on the piano and it was fucking incredible. Fucking incredible. It was. Yeah. 
Um, from the moment they walked out on stage, though, they had the audience in the palm of their hands. There was like a relief to see them back together again. Freddie was just it like was. energized. Freddie was, Freddie was on top of the fucking world. And, he was. And um, they ended up playing. He had a great relationship at the time as well. He did. He was happy. He was happy in his life. Yeah. He was. And yeah. probably, you know, he was relieved as well to be back with his mates. Mm. So they would play Bohemian Rhapsody. Incredible. They'd play Radio Gaga, incredible. Um, there are the, there's this. Um, Did they open with Radio Gaga? No, they opened with um, the solo of Bohemian Rhapsody. He just played on the piano. Oh, okay. And then they all yep, played yep. like like it went into yeah, Radio Gaga. Yeah, that's right. So there was pretty this, magical. Um, Bob Geldof was watching when it was when they were playing Radio Gaga, and you know they're they're doing the bits like you know oh. We need is psh, psh, radio gaga psh, psh, with the with the claps, yeah, and all the of the crowd yeah. are doing the claps, like all yeah. sort of eighty thousand yeah. of the crowd are doing the claps, and sort of yep. um, Bob actually called uh, to see because numbers were being flashed up the entire time this was being televised for people to call in and donate money. Bob called through. And asked them how much they had made. And they were really pumped. They were like, oh, yeah, we've made like a... It was like a million and a half or something. Bob was fucking devastated by that. That's right. He was like, all of this and we've only made a million and a half. And and there are how many people in the UK and, and like, in the world. Um, Bob actually, he, he ran upstairs, ran upstairs to the sort of... Uh, BBC box above the stage and was just like basically we have to get the ball rolling we have to show um, Queen and this moment um, because it's just phenomenal we really have to get the message he actually did like I think this was the point he did that interview where he swore yeah well that was where people started shitting themselves because he he said fuck and he said give us your money. Yeah, he said give us your money. He didn't say give us... Give us your fucking yeah, money. Yeah, he... Nah, he, see, this is the thing. He, We all remember him as saying give us your fucking money, but he didn't say he give didn't. us your fucking yeah. money. Yeah, it's... Yeah. They, call, yeah. they call it the Mandela effect. We'll talk about that another time. Right. But... Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, the Nelson Mandela it effect? It comes from Nelson Mandela. Yes, yes. It's... Does it really? Yeah, yes. I was only joking, dude. Yeah, no, that's true. It's when... It's when pop culture remembers a quote or something happening and everyone remembers it but it didn't actually happen that way. Ah, you with me? Wow. Yeah. Anyway, so um, uh, Bob got on TV, like, you know, with, with the BBC, did a fucking interview and basically said, give us your fucking money. Like, come on. People are starving. We need this money. You know, we've gone to all this effort. Let's make this happen. Apparently, this is the point where the money just started pouring in. It was exactly. It was the sort of point where Queen were playing. All of England were came on board, and the money started pouring in. 
really behind this this whole event. And and this was this was the point for me where I really thought Geldof is the one behind this because not only did he make people open their wallets, no one else could have done that. No, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's not many people that can demand money and fucking get it. He did it and people started turning around. The the whole situation was like lightning striking. It's like you instinctual. Yeah, yeah that's you, right. You you really couldn't have put the same responsibility in anybody else's hands and had the same effect, I don't think. It, it like Part of the result no. of this was him being such an un- unapologetic bully. That's right. Like basically like, you know, give us your fucking money. Like we make this fucking happen. Do it now, you know. People yeah, fucking yeah. respected his revol- resolve. Yeah. They could see the fire. They oh, could, absolutely. They could, they could hear it in his voice. They could see the fire in his eyes. It was the punk. It was the punk coming out of him, you know? Yeah. Um, and we've got to remember in England around this time, as we said at the start, everyone had money. There was fucking money around. It was the 80s. Yes, yes. Right? Why the fuck aren't they giving money? Because they haven't been slapped in the head enough yet. Yeah, yeah. The rock hasn't hit their head. So he's just gone whack and then the wallet started opening. But England were keeping their fucking money to themselves. The world was. You know what actually changed as well, Sammy? The the, um, the, the sense of giving to charity changed. Yes. During this show, giving it to did. charity became trendy. It became cool. You know, it the, went from right. it went from a kind of like sad ass kind of po- povo process to like a positive fucking revolutionary movement. You know? Yeah, because some country gave him a billion or a million dollars. What was the country that rang through and said here's a million dollars? I can't remember which country it was. Yeah. Well, it was a country and, and he put the phone down and he goes, we just got a million dollars. It was either Brazil or something. I can't remember. You know what country but people never. people started doing you know, it. You know what country never gave a fucking cent? China. Ooh, never gave a fucking oh, cent. Fucking. Are you surprised? The thing is though, China now, it, like now has get, like loaned all of this money to Africa to sort of. It, towards infrastructure and everything so that they can basically, um, you know, oblige them so, so that Africa is sort of yeah, obliged so they're, they're, to them. They're, they're bitches. So that Absolutely. they have influence yeah. and control over them, you know. Absolutely. But when back when the, the whole world, the whole world, this is in the middle of the fucking um, Cold War and the USSR were on board with this movement and China didn't give a fucking cent to it. Yeah. That's yeah. fucking appalling. Absolutely yeah. appalling. And it just... Mate. Yeah. Uh, look, I don't want to, you know, because we are living in PC times, I don't want to say too much... Or, yeah, but I don't blame the Chinese. I blame their government. Oh yes, you know it's not the Chinese people. It's the it's the no, fucking it's communist it's party not. in control of that country. It, of course it is. Yeah. So it's a, it's not that we're just bringing up what the Chinese people are actually going through in their own country yeah, as well. It, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. If anybody had a fucking difference of opinion, it it would you would never know about it. <laughs> You would never fucking know about it. But look, you know, we try not to get too political on this show, but 
you know, arts and politics are so closely sort of aligned and this was a sort of political movement. This was an artistic political movement, you know. Um, It certainly was. At this point, um, after Radio Gaga, I think it was when Freddie started doing AO, yeah? AO. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, incredible, incredible. He started doing that amazing call and response with the crowd. Yeah. And I was watching this footage. I've often watched this footage over the years, ever since. And it just, on the day, um, you know, on the 13th of July, which was just last week, when it was the 35th anniversary of of this show, Mm. I Mm. was watching Freddie doing it doing this impro, doing this call and response and it dawned on me at this point in time, at that very point in time that he was doing that call and response, Freddie Mercury was like the most powerful man on the earth. He had absolutely everyone in the palm of his hands, you know, this this sort of buck-tooth gay man was the most powerful yeah. person on the planet. He could have Absolutely. done anything in that moment and he had what, – what he actually did, what they did, Queen, and what this whole movement of Live Aid did was draw um, not just England back together because they were in so much turmoil. It it drew the whole world together for a moment, you know. Mm. It's why it's so important that we cover this this show it was such a Absolutely. pivotal, pivotal fucking event. It was right right smack in the middle of the 80s and it was probably the most important thing that happened in that decade if you don't count the, the fucking, you know, movement towards the Berlin Wall coming down and the end of the Cold War. Mm. Per, mm. You know, perhaps this helped. Perhaps this was sort well, of the catalyst. Well, it was the first time music changed. Music changed a fucking world movement and 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 did something. Yes. Nothing had been done yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, you know? rock rock music, you know, pop music truly changed the world. And that's what it's meant to do. Rock music is meant to be revolutionary. It's meant to fucking mm. it's meant to be the voice of the people who stick their fingers up at the at at authority and and change this fucking world, you know? And and this was the, the most powerful kind of manifestation of that was was this very concert and this exact point in the middle of this in the middle of Queen's uh, little set, they would then play Hammer to Fall. They'd play Crazy Little Thing Called Love. They'd play We Will Rock You, and they would end it on We Are the Champions. And it was just absolutely phenomenal. To this day, one of the most incredible live performances ever. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will say Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie, did recreate this gig so fucking well. This was the first scene they worked on. 100%. This was the first thing they did. Is that right? And the way they, yeah, they CGI'd it. Yeah, this was the first thing. So when he got the gig as Freddie, this was his first part that he had to work on and he was straight out there acting as Freddie at Live Aid and it was the most confronting thing for him because what if they don't do that well at it, you know what I mean? You know what, that's probably smart because if he was off the mark with this performance, you, him, yeah. you wouldn't bother with the rest of the movie, would you? You'd, you'd recast, wouldn't you? 
Like if he if, right. if he wasn't going to get this, what's the point? You know, this is this is this is Freddie Mercury at his most Freddie Mercury. You know, this is this is uh, him him at his absolute best, right in the middle of himself. You know, that's that's amazing. And all of them were shitting themselves. You know, the drummer because they were actors. Yeah, yeah. The drummer, the bass player, they were all shitting themselves because it was the hardest scene to do. Yeah, where they had to play instruments. Yeah, yeah. Look, they did get the casting very good with that film. They did they did a great job. They did a really great job. Yeah. Yeah. So look, um, um this this moment was incredible. It um Freddie was on fire that day, apparently. Behind the scenes. He fucking I he mean, was flirting with everyone. He flirted and trying with to everyone. Root everyone. Like on stage, yeah. he was just, you know, he had his like, he had his head back, huge smile with his like whites of his eyes flashing and fucking whirling around like a fucking dervish, you know, like he he yeah. he was just like on another planet. He was just sort of transcendental, and he he um backstage he fucking flirted with everyone. He got. I'm just trying to think who he hit on. Who did he hit he, on? There was a massive list. He got Bono up against the wall and he <laughs> he, he said, now, dear boy, we've all decided, we've all agreed that we really, really like you. And he was like really close yeah. to him because they didn't know Bono, you know. So um, that was his little stamp and of approval. Bono would have been looking at his penis because he's not that tall. Yeah, thinking like, oh, well, I know what I'm having for dinner. <laughs> yeah. And it was um, status quo. Um, bloody Rick from status quo also said that um, he, when he saw him, when he saw Rick, um, bloody Freddie ran up behind Rick and raped him. No, he didn't. He ran up behind. Yeah. He ran up behind Rick and put him in an arm lock. And um, he said something like, "Oh, it's all right. It's all right. I'm not going to fuck you," or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Rick very. was thinking like, "Fucking, you could if you want to." And it, <laughs> Fre- <laughs> Freddie was just on fire. Like he just he was mm. trying it on everybody, everybody. Well, I'm pretty sure that Freddie would have been in a state of mind. Do I still have this thing in me? Because he's had the shit solo album, and the band has you know they've rehearsed for this gig, but they really haven't connected in a long time. Yeah. He goes out there and smashes it out of the park. Yeah. You would think your dick was bigger than the fucking world. Oh, you? absolutely. You'd be like absolutely. walking around going, I'll have a fucking pony, I'll have your wallet, I'll have your penis. You just would I'll feel that a, way. I'll have a couple of dwarves, I'll have a squirrel, <laughs> I'll have a squirrel and some candles. Get me that fucking chick just in case I change my mind. <laughs> Get me Lady die. Yeah, yeah. Old juggies can watch, but yeah, it would have been yeah. it would have been like just just relief and just a kind of reminder. No, this is who you are. You know, like this is who, he. He would have just been on fire. You know, so yeah, yeah, very do you interesting. Think, um, do you think he's? Do you know the part in the movie where he winks at his mum and his sister? Do you think that was true? Do you remember seeing that in the footage? Who knows? I don't know. That could have been. That could have been more. You know, it. It was a nice moment could if it been. was. You know, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to sort yeah. of break it. I just can't remember if he did that. I can't remember. Yeah. So um, what a great show tonight! Like that's part one. Imagine part two. Yeah, yeah, guys. There is so much more to go. Like the 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 other half of this show is is going to be incredible. Just that. 
the artists that we have to go through, the anecdotes that I've got to tell you, all the bits of gossip, it, you know. And the conspiracy that's right. behind it all yeah, as well. Yeah, it wasn't. It's really something that fucking made me a little bit yeah, angry with the world. It was a bit of trouble in paradise. And I didn't expect it. Yes, exactly. So we've had a couple of uh, drinks. Patrons jump on board this week. Yes. Oh, I have. I haven't had any drinks today. I will next week. I've tried to. Um, Ange Marshall has come on board for ten dollars a month. G'day, Ange. Now, do you remember doing uh, FinPro? Do you remember Ange from FinPro? We had some drinks with her. Yes. Yes, I do. How you going, Ange? She now works for Kingston bloody community fucking, what do you call it, that runs this town or the suburb? Great. Council. Great. When's our next gig in Lawn and when are we getting pissed, Ange? Well, our next, absolutely. She's awesome. So she's a big fan. She's loving the show. She's going to be on our birthday special next week as well. Oh, great. Going to be awesome. Is she still now, with not that? Not only that, is she she's still with that big, big, fucking hot rocker dude. No. Right. So, I asked her that because she comes to see us live. She'll be eyeing off her next so, one. So I've got a little bit of a song for Ange tonight. It is from the sixties or the seventies, but I thought, you know what? I love it. It's by the Rolling Stones, and it's called Ange. Here we go, Ange. This is for you. Good on you, Ange. You're a legend. Good on you, Ange. And not only that, our old mate has upped his bloody patron this month. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, you tell me. Death. Steph, the village people fucking guy. He's got about 30 names, this dude. He has decided to go up to 10 bucks a month as well. Good on him. So he gets the extra episodes. For our Patreon party. Stefan Clogstown, he is on our (laughs) Facebook page. He's got a stage name that he prefers to be known as. He's got about 20 names. He's worse than me. Yeah. He's worse than fucking us. We've got about twenty names. Isn't doesn't isn't his um, stage name like Little Feather or Feather Sword or something? White White, white Feather. feather. There we go. Because it's yeah. village people. Because he plays the Indian. Ah, Indian in the very band. good. Yeah. So he has, and it was his birthday of the week before. Happy birthday, honey! You've been a great fan. Happy he birthday, loves the Steph. show. He puts it on his puts it on his Facebook. Does all that stuff. He's also going to be on the Patreon show next week. So what we're going to do is we're going to do part one of Live Aid. Next week is our birthday show. Where we're just going to be um, talking shit. That's right. And then we will do part two after the birthday show. So we've got a couple of our patrons on. It's not too late to jump on board though as a patron and we may be giving you a call from our studio line. Fuck yeah, mate. If we get if we get a last minute patron, we're going to call you and fucking embarrass you. Absolutely. <laughs> So good on those guys for coming through. Guys, if you've loved the show, please like, review, rate and subscribe. Rate us on um, – Absolutely. Give us a great rating and a little review on iTunes. That's the best way to go. Yeah, knock yourself out. Give us five stars. Don't worry about the other fucking stars. All the way to five. <laughs> All the way to five. 
Oh, well, fucking, you'll be thanking your lucky stars we haven't fucking hit you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good on you guys. It's been a great episode. Can't wait for part two and we can't wait for next episode, which is our big birthday episode. Woohoo! Now, if it's... One year. One year. Who can believe it? If it's music, maybe or cool, cool shit from shit the 80s. from the 80s. We're going to talk about it. Unreal. Unreal. See you soon. See you next week. Bye. See ya. Hi, guys. That was a long show. Fucking two and a half hours. <laughs>